Hey, hey, welcome to the Phil Drysdale Show. And this episode, we have Rachel Alba, who is a sex coach. And um, she is just incredible. You are going to absolutely love this episode. Before we get started, if you are going through deconstruction and you want to try and connect with other people that are going through deconstruction, it can be a very lonely process. A lot of people lose friends, family, community, church, etc. Um, I encourage you to check out the deconstructionnetwork.com. It's a free resource um, to find people in your local area that are also going through this um, very complex and sometimes very hard process. And so I do encourage you to check out the deconstructionnetwork.com. And if you want to support what I'm doing, you can check out phildrysdale.com slash partner or my Patreon page, just patreon.com slash phildrysdale. Um, and as a thank you, you get access to a private um, discussion group where we have all kinds of um, fascinating conversations and a monthly Zoom and a few other different perks as well. Um, everything I do for free, you know, the podcast, the resources I put out, um, all the conversations I have with people all day, every day, um, I'm doing it full time for free. And so um, your support does make a huge, huge difference. Um, and so thank you for that. If you can't afford anything, obviously everything's still free. Enjoy, enjoy. Um, that will never change how I respond to anyone. Um, but I do want to let people know that that is an opportunity for people to have that private discussion group, the monthly Zooms uh, and things like that. All right, let's dive in to Rachel Alba. Hey, hey, how's it going? Hey, it's going well. How are you? I am very well. Let me just tweak my audio a bit. Cool. Sorry, I was a tiny bit late. I was trying to oh, you're fine. figure out. It was, yeah, you know, computers. Yeah, I do know very well. <laughs> Big time. It's cool. It's cool to see you've got like a full on setup. You're wearing headphones, microphone. That's always a plus. So yeah, um, it can be really hit and miss otherwise. My <laughs> but, husband does podcasting. And so okay, it was like, oh, nice. let me just like steal your stuff because why not? Perfect. He's of course yeah, on my headphones. He's not really into pink, but. Oh, he's not? I, do you know what? I am into pink and I've got like big pink mask. I, my wife is constantly like, I think she's applied through it for the most part but like i'm i'm gonna wear pink purple i'm gonna wear bright orange i, I like color like i really do that's um, what like we yeah. yeah my nephews do that and it's like for christmas he got this like hot pink sweater yes with like a really you know how like the the sequins that you swish back and forth is yeah. like kind of hip uh -huh. right now so it has that in like a lightning bolt shape and he was like so so excited to wear it but because he's in kindergarten and they're like starting to be conscious of gender norms mm -hmm. it's something yeah. that he like sometimes can't wear to school because he doesn't want to get made fun of it makes me yeah. kind of sad but it's, it's gonna be really interesting to see how that continues to evolve because it's already such a shifting world like you talk to any teenagers these days even in the most conservative parts of like the western world and like they're like, yeah, that's kind of like our parents' kind of thing. We're we're beyond yeah. that on the whole. You know what I mean? Like the the kind of, but they're like the Netflix generation. They're raised on Netflix, Instagram, you know, YouTube. They're, they're like so exposed to a whole other way of living. Um, but obviously, that isn't the case for people that are having kids right now. Probably, maybe my age, like mid to late thirties. So probably on the outer edges of being comfortable with that yeah um but their kids give them a couple more years where they're kind of exposed to their ideas and they're going to be like yeah I, no come whatever on. i definitely can like 
but it's interesting to see that that's still a thing like you know four or five years old and like kids are still going like oh that's a girl's color and things like how long will that last is, right is and really I feel like I'm thinking also of like all of my like most of my cousins and most and like both of my siblings with their kids like their boys have all like painted their nails fun colors because like who doesn't want to paint their nails because it is kind of fun mm-hmm. and like things like that yeah that I you say know. frequently I'd like to paint my yeah. nails, but I'm not brave enough for whatever. I don't know what that is. No, Start with your toenails. Nobody will steal them. Is it that? <laughs> I don't know if it is that or if it's more. Oh, I don't know. I don't know what that is. I'd like to explore that. Maybe I will explore that, my my thoughts on yeah. what that is. Because I, I love, I just love expressing myself in different ways. Um, and so, yeah, it's fascinating. Really interesting. Yeah. But yeah, the idea of like, oh, cool. You get to paint your nails like fun colors. That's great. Right. Uh, Who wouldn't want to do it? Mm-hmm. Especially yep. if you're like four and five. Hey. Yeah, seriously. I mean, if nothing else to entertain and keep your four or five year old busy for another 20 minutes, sounds great. Oh, yes. Right? Totally. It's <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for coming on. I am really, really um, excited that you're here. Um, Thanks for reaching I, out. I, I love the stuff that you're posting. I find it so fascinating. Um, it's obviously like a huge area within. Um, Exvangelical, deconstructing, um, kind of neo-Christian, whatever that world is. I mean, there's 110 different types of categories that kind of are, we don't know where we are right now, or maybe we know exactly where we are right now, but we're definitely not where we were. Whatever that is, um, it tends to come with a whole host of like, whoa, I got really fucked up with sex stuff, like most of my life. Um, My upbringing really screwed me up and like, caused all sorts of shame and different stuff like that. so it's really cool to see accounts like yours kind of helping people overcome sexual shame um exploring um their sexuality and and expressions of that like overcoming that's really really exciting um and so i I love the you you post like so many instagram uh videos like on instagram tv oh yeah totally 10 minute clips and i'm like that's my perfect that's my window i put out like you know three hour long podcasts or whatever but (laughs) I'm going to either consume, like, I, I listened to a podcast that it was five hours, and I was like, this is the best thing ever. Or I'm like, oh, my God, this is, like, 18 minutes. I'm never listening to anything that long. I, I do, like, either or, but nothing in between. Totally. Um, yours yeah. kind of grabbed me just the right amount of time. I'm like, I could, yeah, I could listen about this topic for 10 minutes. That's, that sounds great. Um, and so, yeah, no, I love it. Um, why don't you kind of give a rough overview of like who you are? Cause I don't actually, I, I watched your, you had like a, a small Instagram video kind of like um, talking about your backgrounds and a bit of like where you came from, but a lot of people won't know who you are that are going to be watching or listening to this. Um, and also I probably even just having watched that little clip don't really know much of who you are. I'd love to give you more room to explore that. I'd love to interrupt you as you go and go, wait, what? And extrapolate and um, explore some of those uh, concepts. But from what I've heard of your clip, I'm like, this is an interesting person. And you have the, the interesting, it's quite unique for me, at least. I don't think I've had many people on my podcast so far that have come from a more Catholic background as well. So you're not coming yeah. from a particularly <laughs> evangelical background um, per se. So yeah, l- let's get into that and, and let's see where it goes. But I'd love to hear more. Sweet. Um, can I ask you one quick question? Please. If I say something that I'm like, oh shit, after the fact, I'm like, I shouldn't have said that. Totally fine. I can like email you and be like, hey, cut let, that one out. Let me know. Uh, ideally, let me know in the moment. 
and I can okay. just, I'll write down the time and cut it because it makes it easier for me to cut rather than like trying to figure out where it was. Where it was. Because awesome. my Sweet. memory is a sieve. But yeah, no, absolutely. You can, there's nothing on my end. You can say, do anything on this. Um, awesome. But it obviously like we all go, oh yeah. And then that guy, Steve. And then you're like, shit, I just totally outed Steve or whatever. You know? <laughs> exactly. Um, we all have those moments on podcasts. So it's totally cool. Fun. Okay. Yeah. And then the other thing is um, you can, I can curse if I, Oh, as much as you okay. Want. Okay. Yeah, I'm. Scottish, I mean, I'm not so. gonna like make a habit out of it. Hopefully, but like. Oh, it's fine. I my, am I, a human I'm, being. My goal is to like eke it out of more and more people, like that, okay. that kind of starting <laughs> to explore their their free, liberated self to express exactly. as they desire. I'm like, yes, throw in some f bombs. <laughs> yes, we can just start with that. Fuck. Exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> cool. So, a little bit about me. So yeah. I think probably the most interesting thing to start with is just like my story of how I came to be where I currently am. And if I were to start with anything, I would say that like, yeah, okay. I was raised super Catholic and by super Catholic, I actually mean like in a, the, probably the most conservative diocese in the United States, the parish that I grew up in still does not to this day have female altar servers, which is like super unheard of in the U.S. And wow. even within that diocese now, it's absurd that they don't allow them. That's like the one thing that Catholics usually like women do, right? It's like, you know, like yeah. they're giving no crumbs, like nothing. Yeah. So, yeah. And I even well, had not like amazing, a, but you know. <laughs> I'm sure you've, I'm sure this comes up in like the, the evangelical world, but we were even told at some point in time by a, by, by a priest growing up that like women can be really distracting when they're reading because mm-hmm. like the way I find those... that often very <laughs> very hard to focus right because we're just so sexually attractive that like so... your mind totally goes to the wrong thing even mm-hmm. if you're reading scripture the cadence of their voice I'm totally. immediately like fantasizing all yeah. sorts of things yeah of course that priest That's ends up running tough. off with our choir director eventually so you know it yeah. it, it, it is what it is but um that's the environment I was raised in. Um, And I was really into it, you know, like I'm sure like Mm -hmm. most people who are raised in that environment, some people sort of take to it and some people don't. And I really, really took to it and loved it and felt like this is, you know, I had experiences that felt really infused with the divine. And in specific, um, there was one that was really, really powerful. And I had a mentor when I was in, in high school who I was really into like theater and drama and stuff like that. And I majored in theater in college, but um, Mm. I had this amazing mentor and we grew really close. And as I was leaving for college, I was in his office and we were chatting and all of a sudden we just fell into this beautiful gaze of just like staring into each other's eyes and holding and like beholding each other's presence. And in that moment, I had this experience of like, if only the whole world loved each other like this, this is what God intended for us to like love each other in this so full way. And in that moment, I really felt as though we were dipping into like the infinite pool of love that is God. And somehow through this gaze, through the shared connection with this other person, you're able to connect to that infinite pool of love Mm. and sort of like, put a dipper into it and then pour it out over like the rest of your existence and all the other people you come in contact with and all that kind of stuff from this experience of in a way, unconditional love from another person. Um, and it felt so profound and so important to me. And, Mm. you know, one of the things that he said, especially for people going into theater, you know, that it's like a lottery ticket situation where 
it may not work out. And he told me as I was leaving for college that, you know, like (laughs) if you end up deciding that welding is your path, it's okay. Like you won't have disappointed me as your mentor Mm -hmm. by going into welding. And you know, welding has consistently been like a stand-in in my life for any of the other things that I've done that are not theatrical. And it just felt so important to give that, to have that permission from somebody to be mm-hmm. like, you don't have to, you don't have to live into my expectations of you in order for you to be deserving of my love. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, and to both experience that and then be able to feel like I could experience that in return back to him mm-hmm. and then be able to like dip into this infinite pool of love, like I said. So that was incredible and very profound. And then I went to college and I think it was my junior year of college. I had this incredible professor. Um, his name I will give. Peter Savetta is a fucking incredible professor. Unfortunately, he doesn't teach anymore at Northwestern University, but he did and he was amazing. And he, in office hours one day, sort of chatted with me and said, you know, he was going through a divorce at the time. And I'm not exactly sure how this topic came up, but he described to me the idea that like he and his wife, as he was, as he was in this process of divorcing, they were sort of like, you're a rope, right? As you're married, you like intertwine with another person in a lot of ways. And he was in this process of, of unraveling and untangling that rope and really figuring out which threads were his and which threads were hers. Mm. And As he said that, being an INFP in Myers-Briggs, I always feel my way to understanding. And I could feel in that moment that his description of that was the exact same feeling that my mentor had had for me as as I was leaving for college. Mm. And it was in that moment that I realized, oh no, that wasn't a mentor-mentee relationship. Yes, that was an aspect of it, but he was also romantically in love with me. And that... Mm was devastating to my image of God, which had been very clearly, you know, there are good things and there are bad things. Very binary, yeah. Yeah, and like fortunately in the Catholic Church, you have like a little delineation of sin where you've got like mortal sins that completely separate you from God, things like murder. And you've got venial sins, which like gossiping, telling a white lie, (laughs) um, minor petty theft, you know, (laughs) like little things count as venial sins. So they don't completely separate you from God, but like, they're not good to do. And so you've got like the, the separation there. And, but this experience was like, wait, 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 it doesn't fit into that sin category in the way that like sin is supposed to fit. Cause it's this experience that both contains this incredible experience of divine love that like had completely shaped my understanding of, of, who God is and what God is and what relationships are for and all that stuff prior to that. But at the same time, like this is super wrong. Like this Mm. person was married. So it was was somewhat adulterous. It was also like weird in like a a power dynamic way. There's like all these levels of like, that was not okay. That is definitely in the sin category, but also like, have I ever felt so supported? Have I Mm. ever felt so accepted? And isn't that, so much of what we, so much of what God is for us when we're experiencing God through another person. And with that, my understanding of God completely imploded. Wow. <laughs> you know, like you, I couldn't, the God that I had believed in couldn't exist anymore. And so mm. even though I was super involved in campus ministry and I couldn't just like completely 
just stop being involved in campus ministry because I was like leading all of these things and couldn't, sure. you know, where would, who would fill my void if I was like gone? Um, so I was still like there, still participating in things, still doing whatever. Um, but in my mind, I was like, this God doesn't exist. Like I'm going to mass still because like, if I wasn't going to mass, someone would notice, but I wasn't receiving mm -hmm. communion, which for It's always an are, awkward one. Right? It, it is, but also in the Catholic church, like you can at least do that for a variety of reasons. And depending upon right. the, the tradition, it's more or less common. So like, it's more common in Latin American countries for people to not receive communion because of whatever reason. Um, whereas in the US, like everybody goes up for communion. And if you don't, they're like, did you have an abortion last week? Like what's going on? Um, right. yeah. And so <laughs> that was something that was a little awkward, but I also felt like I was still like in a loving community. Like these people knew mm. me and loved me. They wouldn't judge me for not going to communion, but it also didn't feel right to go to communion if I didn't believe that this was really the body, blood, soul, and divinity of sure. Jesus Christ, which is what Catholics believe mm -hmm. or quote unquote, good Catholics believe Catholics sure. that are in alignment with the Vatican. That's what they believe. Um, so yeah, I was really struggling with that and trying to figure out like, how do I find my way? And unlike somebody who would just say like, oh, well, God completely doesn't exist and spirituality is bullshit. Like I had had an experience of the divine that still mm. resonated as very much real. And so in a way I had to make this choice of, do I choose to, you know, do I choose to adhere to this understanding of God that was given to me? Or do I choose to, pick my own experience of the divine and push this other side away. And it was almost a choice of like, which one would be more painful? Would mm -hmm. it be more painful for me to leave my own experience aside and adhere to what was taught to me? Or would it be more painful for me to, or would it be better for me, less painful for me to adhere to my own beliefs and what I've actually experienced, my own experience versus sure. my non-experience? which is something we can go back to when we talk about spiral dynamics eventually, because we uh -huh. will. Oh, good. Um, yes. Or like Ken Wilber, <laughs> things like that. Yeah, because I think that's like ultimately the shift that is so essential yeah. is like choose your experience over choosing communal prescripted ideology. Yeah. It's so tough though, right? Because you're wired. We're just wired to feel safe and comfortable and accepted. And, and you're you're looking at these options and like there's a there is a safety and a comfort and a and a familiarity in each of those in in different dynamics in different ways. And you're left trying to measure up, you know, which is more important, my mommy or my daddy? Or you know what I mean? It's like it's yeah. like in this horrible place where you've got to make some sort of like um decision where you're pulled in two different ways and both both have a very real meaningful place on one level um it's really fascinating but so were you just utterly like okay so there's just that's it like there is no god kind of like bam like because you're you're talking about this kind of dynamic of like there's some form of divine connection love were, were, were you ever like okay yeah but that doesn't need to be god that could be something different or were, were you always kind of pulled within this kind of um more kind of orthodox christian box you were trying to still figure it out in like how did that work for you so like i definitely while i was still in college like it would have been too much for me to try to extract myself from the community mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> while also 
you know, like that would have been just too much work, especially because that was literally sure. my most of my social connection was in that was through yeah. campus ministry. And so like, you don't want to lose all your friends in the process right. of. How far also, through college was this? Uh, this was like junior year, like okay. partway through junior year. Yeah. Um, like you don't want to have that experience of like, oh shit, I also lost all of my friends. And I also don't know what I believe in, even though like God has been really important to me forever and specifically a very Christian God, mm-hmm. like yeah. praying to a literal Jesus Christ, believing that the Eucharist really is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of God. And then realizing like, that is all bullshit, at least from the perspective I was seeing it. Sure. Um, and I, but again, that conflict of like, but I did have this experience. And so I was pulled towards spirituality and sort of fell into the category of like spiritual, but not religious, which I kind of mm-hmm. hate because it feels <laughs> so, I'm also an Enneagram four. So I like to feel special and that makes me feel not so special <laughs> because right, okay. who isn't spiritual, but not religious anymore. Um, so I, <laughs> was trying to figure out how do I, how do I find my own, my, the next step forward? Um, and fortunately, you know, college ended and I ended up moving to New York city. Um, and I went to college like outside of Chicago. So moving to New York city was quite a move. It's not like I'm gonna have friends there already. Big fresh start kind of. Exactly. And it's a huge city. So like, who knows who you're going to meet? And I happened Mm. to fall into by the grace of the universe and all things holy. Um, I fell into a group of people that were interested in spiritual sexuality. And that was such a good fit for where I was in my own spiritual experiences, because like I had experienced divine love through the love of another person. Um, So why not fit in a physical component of that, especially given that I had, I studied dance in college and was a big social dancer. And one of my primary sort of not religious, but spiritual spaces was blues dancing. Okay. Which is just dancing to blues music. If And you can Google it and find these really great things. And it's slow and it's connected and it's, yeah, I could go into a whole spirituality of partner dancing and why I think it's mm. a spiritual experience. But it requires a lot of like surrender, but also um, assertion of yourself and that interplay yeah. of, of, it's like a conversation. So yeah that was really cool as a spiritual place. And I also knew that like physically connecting with people felt really good. And also like the spiritual component of, of finding God through another person felt really important to me. Mm. So fell into this group of spiritual sexuality folks. Um, and also at the same time dated somebody who suggested, I think you should read Ken Wilber's brief history of everything. Wow. So I did read it. And as I read it, I was like, oh, this is what's going on using the spiral dynamics colors. It's like, oh, I'm going from like amber to to orangish green. Um, And it felt like, okay, now I have a path. I know that I'm not like backsliding. Mm -hmm. I know I'm not going to like a sinful place anymore. I know I'm actually headed to ultimately like growth and, and, and something more. And that this is, I could then trust sort of that I was walking in the right direction and not have that fear that, you know, I used to, I, I also use the language a lot when I was thinking about sort of not feeling like God existed, that you're like holding onto a rope as you're leaning off of the edge of a cliff. And if you let go of the rope, you're just going to fall. And Peter Savetta, that same professor I mentioned before, suggested to me, what if you let go of the rope and you didn't fall? Like, what if you flew 
instead or something along those lines. Um, and so letting go of that rope of, of the God that I had believed in the Catholic God, as it was taught to me, um, allowed me to, with the help of this Ken Wilber path of like, okay, cool. There's actually a trajectory here. Um, allowed me to say, okay, I can fly. I can like trust that the wings are going to sprout and I'll be okay. Um, and so with that, I was able to like explore Tantra and Taoist sexual practices and mm. a little bit of Kabbalah. Um, and through those things, figure out how it was that the Christian story of, of what is could also be true from this other standpoint. Sure. From looking, looking almost back upon it with a completely different perspective. So, but one thing that fascinates me, right, is, you know, those words you throw on this, on this show, you're probably not going to scare too many people. Um, <laughs> but the average Christian, you just say the word Tantra or Taoist or Buddhist or, you know, any of these kind of um, buzzwords that like are just like <laughs> danger, 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 demons, you know, evil. Um was because there's a thing of when we are letting go of some of our prior spirituality or we're going, oh, I don't believe in that anymore. And we start moving into new areas and go, that's exciting. That's interesting. Often I've found for a lot of people and maybe for myself at times, there's been a thing of like, oh, that's exciting. And I don't believe in that anymore. But on some level, I'm also going, but what if that is sitting there behind me with a big stick ready to hit me on the head for eternity if I'm wrong? Like, did you have any of that dynamic of going like, oh, but a good Catholic girl doesn't look at Tantra or Taoism? And what if, what if I'm wrong? What will God think? Or did you have any of those kind of like tensions of being I... pulled in a few directions? I think I did, right? There were definitely like the days when I can remember at some point in time going back to Northwestern for some, for something. I don't remember why I was there, but I remember going to the Catholic priest that was there who um, is also the priest that married my husband and I. He's brilliant awesome. and amazing and is also running Mundelein Seminary right now, which I think is brilliant because that means that he is training future priests and by all means, if anyone is more like Father John Carty, it would be better for the world. Um, but he, I went to him at some point in time, because at the same, t while I was in New York, while I was sort of exploring these different things, I was polyamorous, right? So I had multiple okay. partners. And um, I, <laughs> I sat with him in his office and I was like, okay, Father, like, I really feel like by by experiencing going back to that analogy that I went to at the beginning like if I can experience love through this one person and like dip into that infinite pool of love and ultimately the goal is to be able to feel that sort of connection with a lot of different people ultimately you see that sort of connection of like you can feel that interconnectedness and divineness of everyone even you know the random grocery store clerk and the cat taxi mm. driver and the really a loud, obnoxious neighbor that lives above you, like all of them, you should hopefully be able to see God in. <laughs> Though it is a struggle um, as somebody who lives below somebody who likes to jump rope at 10 PM. Nice. It's been great over the past six months. Um, <laughs> thank you, pandemic. So I was in that office with Father John and I was like, listen, I've been having these experiences with these multiple people and it's actually been feeling like a really healthy, good way of experiencing divine love because it allows me to experience 
love from different people and to recognize that the divine is present in each of them. Mm. And the language of the divine feels way more cozy to me than like saying I felt God through every person because God is just such a... It's a loaded word for sure. It's a loaded word. But divine can be like sort of non-specific. So like... We've not loaded that one yet. Right, exactly. Give it it's 50 like... years and like 60 years, our grandkids are going to be like, oh, divine, not that. So uh, like whatever conformity. It's so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you can find the sacred or you can find yeah. the divine. And It feels, in it feels like there's freedom in the right. divine for now, at least. Where <laughs> A little I'm not... more breath. Yeah. Will you say the words and maybe people are less able to go, oh, I know what box to put you in. Although... Maybe exactly. they do. I don't know. I think people still put you in the box pretty quickly. Oh, what? Probably. Man, they don't say God. Oh, okay. Whatever. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I try to use up a little bit of everything. Eventually, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to that point, maybe. Anyway, yeah. but um, divine. So, talking about finding the divine in all these different people. And he was like, you know, did you think that they are feeling the same way to you? And I was like, mm. I think so. I think it it goes both ways. They might use different language, but I think it's sort of a similar sort of situation. The other thing that he said in that conversation that has struck me was, right, we're talking about sexuality, we're talking about God, and he looks at the tree that's outside his window, and he says, you know, looking at a tree can be a sexual experience. And (laughs) I mean, this is an interesting story for later, maybe, or I could just share right now, but- No, let's go into it. I'm excited. I want to know more about this. (laughs) How is looking at a tree a sexual experience? It was literally a question that was in my mind for years and years and years and years. And at one point in time in grad school, I was leaving a lecture on existentialism. Um, I went to grad school at Boston College and studied theology and ministry there um, with a particular focus on sort of spiritual development in adults and how to talk about sexuality to people at different stages of faith. But as I was leaving this existentialism class, there was this beautiful, like, shadow on the ground of, and it was a windy day. So there's like these shadows of these leaves sort of dancing in the sunlight. And as I stood there and stared at it, I had this moment of like, literally feeling like I had been consumed into the shadow. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I realized, I was like, oh my God, even if you're in the shadow, you're literally surrounded by light. Like a shadow can't exist without light projecting onto something. And so ultimately, even in the darkness, you're really surrounded by light. And it was both a beautiful, lovely metaphor, but it was also this like physical embodied experience of being like, what the hell just happened? How could I become, like, it felt like I became the shadow, Mm. which is totally crazy. All your listeners can think I'm insane. I probably am a little bit, but it also gave me this experience of realizing like, okay, what is sexuality really about? It's about recognizing Mm. our unity with another person. If I can become united with the shadow of a tree, mm-hmm. then of course, looking at a tree can be a sexual experience. <laughs> sure. I mean, that makes sense to me. I mean, how, I think everyone on some level has had experiences of this where, um, and, and maybe those more prone to um, fasting, psychedelics, um, you know, doing things that are maybe going to put you in an altered state or, or something like that, where you are more likely to have these profound moments when you go, oh my God, I am my friend's Bob. Bob <laughs> is me or whatever, you know, or you just yeah. you look at a leaf and you're like, what is this? And how is it different from me or whatever? I don't know. Uh, but like, we've all had those moments where you're just like, whoa. 
and you kind of you sink into the grand of all being right the divine yeah realize whoa we're all in this in one way or another and jesus talks about this to some degree of us all being um within the kingdom of god about you know the, the the divine rests within all and that we can see ourselves in all. Um, and so I think on some level, we all tap into that. I don't think many of us stop and um, yeah, and enjoy it and experience it. Maybe we, we, those moments are fleeting and passing and we just kind of move on. Um, we certainly forget them far too quickly. Um, but I get that. I, I, I get that. And, and I can see, I guess it depends on how we're defining sexuality really, doesn't it? And I right. think that's it. if you're going to define sexuality as um, being in a union with something, um, a mel- melding together with something, I think, yeah, you could definitely say that. Um, yeah. I think yeah. that's also where it's important to differentiate perhaps between sexuality and eros. Mm. And okay, like, do that for me. Break yeah. Cause I think that like, I would imagine that in that, circumstance of like this idea of, of having a sexual experience with a tree like there's also a part of me that's thinking of like a wooden dildo as i say that but yeah. regardless um <laughs> well we're also going gosh this is talking to a priest i'm like dude priest read the room just you know don't throw in any weird sex stuff right now like you know the catholic church does not need that um, <laughs> i mean it was it was in the it was in a moment of like more spiritual direction than anything else sure. so like safe space um <laughs> And we, of course, had a, had a relationship over the course of like- Oh, the, I'm, I'm joking, I'm joking. It's just so funny, I, isn't it? You know, he could speak freely. Anyway, um, so he also doesn't remember himself saying this to me. So it's That's a pretty funny. funny thing to be like, no, but the sexual experience was a tree. Um, so yeah, sexuality, I think actually if we do a good job of like parsing out sexuality and Eros as two separate things. Sexuality has to be more so defined as like more genitally related- Mm-hmm. experiences that are maybe even related more closely to like our potential for procreation and creativity and our I'm not trying to say that sex should be only for procreation but like that capacity of us definitely fits into sexuality um and how we relate to that in addition to how we desire to feel pleasure in our bodies with the assistance of other people being there or without that something along those lines. Eros, I think is more so this desire for union. Mm. And um, there's a lot of places that we can look and pull the definition of Eros from. Like Plato talks about it, I think. I'm not great with like ancient philosophy, but Plato definitely talks about Eros as more of like an expansive thing where it's our understanding of our, our interconnectedness and like our desire for union with another person, or our desire for union mm-hmm. with with life itself. Um, I think you mentioned that you're a fan of Joseph Campbell in the way that Joseph Campbell talks about how, you know, we're not seeking a meaning when we're talking about life. We're actually seeking an experience of being alive. And so that desire for that experience of being alive, I think I would call Eros. Mm. Um, and so that is far broader and encompasses sure. so much more than just the sexual. One of my favorite people who talks about Eros is Mark Gaffney, who is a, he was a rabbi. Um, he's a very conflict oriented individual. If you Google him, you will not like who he is, but he says some brilliant things. And one of the things that he talks about is that the sexual models the erotic, but does not exhaust it. Mm. So sexuality 
can help us understand what Eros is. But if the only place where we're finding Eros in our lives, if that only place where we're finding that desire for union and that expansiveness and understanding of interconnectivity of mm. all of creation, then the sexual will in fact break down. Sure. Because the sexual can't hold the totality of Eros. Eros is such a larger thing that if we try to push it all into sexuality, if we try to push all of Eros into sexuality, sexuality becomes, it falls apart. It crumbles sure. in the ways that like we can all point to in life, right? The Me Too movement, um, sexual assault, the child sexual abuse stuff that happened in the Catholic church and is not only in the Catholic church, but yeah, other religious or institutions generally, wherever you give people power and connect God to it, there's probably sexual abuse. Um, if we're only finding sex, if we're only finding Eros and sexuality, the sexual breaks down and all this weird dysfunction occurs. It could also be like, not even just like, um, you know, not only transgressive acts, but also even like a shutting down of one's own sexuality, right? Yeah. If you feel like you're so afraid of this sensation of, of Eros, of this more expansive Eros, yeah. which it is kind of terrifying to look at the abyss and be like, oh my God, I'm actually connected to all of it. That's mm -hmm. a, that's a, a terrifying moment. Um, the sexual will also break down in that moment and it might become more of a shutting down of your whole sexual experience rather than an opening up to it in a transgressive ways. But, sure. I can see that. I, yeah. I think, I mean, the church does this really well in that we're terrified of um, deep and meaningful connections across um, what we would consider generally, I say we, not me at all, but <laughs> historically uh, what we would consider a very binary world of gender. Um, as soon as you have guys hanging out with girls, it's terrifying, right? We don't want that that connection that of course, on many levels, what isn't built around this need for connection to be desired, to desire, to um, to uh, connect and, 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 and be close and to be intimate, whether it's sexual or not. Now, some of those relationships are sexual, of course. In the church, it's like, you know, you know, get your seatbelt on, wrap yourself in bubble wrap, and then like you can <laughs> pop that when you get married. But like the danger is like, you know, they're so terrified of meaningful, intimate relationships that cross that barrier. Um, and, and to the point where you see like people that are like married in the church who have like no friends of the opposite sex, and you're like, huh, like uh, most of my friends are female. I I'd say 70% of my closest friends are female and so i I've, I've always been like this is weird especially when i lived in america it was mm. like to an nth degree like they were terrified that you were gonna like accidentally impregnate any woman you were left in a room with like <laughs> which i'm like i was never gonna happen because i could never convince any girls to date me never mind like you know go there um but like it it feels like there's this fear not just of the sexuality but actually um, because the church is incapable of distinguishing between this broader thing that is behind sexuality, but is also behind the most meaningful friendships you'll ever have. It's also behind me looking in the eyes of a homeless person and going, good God, that's me. I need to make sure he's got somewhere to stay tonight. Like that thing is also feared by the church um, because it can't divide sexuality and intimacy is that something that you would agree with or yeah i mean i think seen? that's i think that uh, yes i've seen that and i think it's really problematic and i think you know i'm thinking back to like the ethics workshop that i was in for my master's degree we had like this ethics day and one of the things that we talked about was not creating relationships with people that you're ministering to 
Mm. And the idea was that there's a power dynamic there that you don't want to um, exploit. And so like, but what that really actually does is create this barrier that Mm -hmm. actually increases clericalism and increases the like putting on a pedestal of the people who are ministers which is not ideal. Like ideally yeah. it's like this person is, and even the Catholic church will say that it's like the, a leader among equals mm. where like ultimately a priest is not actually above anyone else. They're just leading the congregation because when you're doing something with that many people in a space, it's helpful to have somebody lead it. And like, unfortunately that's not the way it's actually worked out. Even though theologically we have it written down is like, and, and those sorts of teachings in this fear of intimacy and this fear of real vulnerability with another human actually increases all these problems that we have, mm. right? Like you're going to have more clericalism, which is ultimately what leads to what led in part to the sexual abuse crisis, right? Because mm. not only did you think that your priest was incapable of doing anything wrong, period, but on top of it, like parents aren't going to question that because like, oh, my son's like being mentored by the priest. That's a great thing. Sure. Maybe not. Like yeah. we need to ask that question. And if you don't think it's possible, then like you're never going to see it that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the fear of of real relating is very much a problematic fear because it ultimately shuts down your entire experience of existence. Like how can you possibly love someone, love existence, love people and love God if you're not like getting in there mm. with other humans and actually developing relationships? Yeah. I'm like, and also the fear of the idea that like, if somebody gets left in a room with someone else of the opposite sex, that like automatically they're going to like get it on is a full misunderstanding of what sex is. Yeah. I mean, both of us are married. Like you're, I can definitely be in a room with my husband and not immediately jump on him. Oh, very easy like right? you know what i mean like practically like there are many other things on my mind a lot and and nine times i on a scale of sexuality i often skew quite asexual as well and i'd say to my wife my libido is not massively high um and so for me i'm like snuggle on the couch way higher on my list than sex most of the time like i'm like i want to be close i want to have a nice conversation i want to have a meaningful connection but actually have sex right now? No, it's, no, no, put that to the side. We'll do that later or another time or like, that's fine. Totally. Like, and that's with someone you're like passionately in love with, have given your life to probably feel closer to than anyone else on the earth. Like, so why do we assume that like any other person that I connect to, I'll immediately want to have sex? Like, it's just like, there's such a limited understanding of what it means to connect to another human being. Um, it's just really, really I don't, I don't even understand what that is. What is it in the church that is incapable of seeing connections across across the barriers that they perceive are there, like maybe gender or whatever, and then go, oh, that will suddenly be really unhealthy. Or maybe it is these perceived kind of like um, power dynamics and things like that. And there's a lot of abuse that comes into play with, as soon as you start increasing those power, right? You see it with every type of power, not even religious, right? You just look totally. at Epstein or whatever, and you're like, oh wow that power just did something um it's 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 just everywhere right as soon as you have people think they're better than other human beings suddenly objectification whatever and um and things go wild but like 
it's weird that the church's first thought is to go there. And I, and right. I say the church loosely, broadly, you know, like, of course, like, I'm not saying that your church is like that. Maybe it's not, you know, but I think that it's a common theme throughout m- much of the church that we can comment on it on some And what's, what's so interesting, right? So if we go back historically and think about Jesus and, and where Jesus was, and what we also think about sort of the history and the trajectory of Christianity generally, right? So we've got Jesus, who was a really earthy person. Judaism in general is a very embodied, earthy religion. He is like spitting in his hand, spitting in people's eyes and making mud and making them not blind. Like he's, he's doing shit like this. There's the woman who's hemorrhaging and everybody else is like, don't touch her, don't touch her. And Jesus is like, wait, my power just left me because someone touched my cloak and like welcomes her in. You know, there's a lot of gross stuff there Mm -hmm. that's very physical and embodied. Yeah. Not even to mention, like, the woman with the alabaster jar who, like, massages him and sobs on his feet. And, like, you know, I have this amazing um, a professor at Boston College, Professor Emeritus. Actually, no, that's a fancy word. It doesn't just mean that you used to be a professor there. That means, like, you've got special fancy things. He's not Emeritus, but he is a former professor, and he probably deserves to be Emeritus. But he teaches a class called spirituality and sexuality, and I've helped him teach it before. And he talks about in that moment, Jesus, how'd you've gotten an erection? <laughs> like this woman is like placing her hair all over his body, rubbing him down with oil. Do you think Jesus got an erection? Like, is yeah. he a, a body? I mean, if he's straight, I mean, like we could throw that out maybe. <laughs> we could throw that in there. But I would argue like even, right? I was a massage therapist for eight years. Oh, it's natural. It doesn't even matter. Even, like, even yeah. gay men, you know, will yeah. sometimes get erections on the table just from like being relaxed. Anyway, so mm. Jesus had erections, quote for the podcast episode. Sure. Um, but <laughs> if we look at that idea of Jesus, right? And this super embodied, super not scared of sexuality, super not scared of like touching people and being mm-hmm. physically intimate and emotionally intimate, right? He cries over Lazarus. He like has really close friendships with this group of 12 men. And we assume that there's also women hanging out with him too, like mm-hmm. Joanna and Mary Magdalene and all that stuff. So then somehow it turns into this very antibody movement. And the question is, how did that occur? And mm. that occurred primarily generally speaking, when we look at history, it's not so much from Paul, though we can totally look at Paul's stuff and say like, this was antibody, this was antibody, but it's mostly, that's mostly in, if you're in, if you look at the actual like Greek or that it was written in, his statements aren't as antibody as they appear to us when they're translated into English and we're reading them in English and it sounds very antibody. If you do good biblical study on the, on the original text and the meaning of those words, it's, it's quite different, but I like to just throw everything on Augustine because why not? Um, he and has Augustine, some serious hangups. Though, right? So, yeah. Like Augustine is the guy that totally fucked up our relationship to sexuality and Christianity, <laughs> period. End of story. I mean, like there's some ways in which we can like, he didn't fuck up everything. He certainly had some great theology, but he was sure. coming from, he was a manichae first. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know who the manichaeans are? I'll explain it anyway, because who knows? Yeah, go into, I'm not an expert yeah. on Augustine at all or the Manichees. So, the Manichees were a, you know how like in, in ancient Greek times, these, like the Stoics weren't just like a philosophical principle. They were also like a sort of a retreat house thing where like they lived together and they lived in their Stoicism together. The Manichees were something like that, where they, they believed in 
Gnosticism. They were a Gnostic group, which means that you believe that a couple of things. One is that your body is holding you down from your spiritual experiences. So the idea that if you can somehow suppress your bodily desires, then you can have an experience that's closer to the divine because the divine is ultimately more of a mental thing, right? Mm. So you're looking for how can you engage your mind rather than your body? Sure. And so you're, you know, what they did, Manichaeans would oftentimes basically starve themselves. They'd eat just enough to be able to subsist. They would, you know, the flogging components of like self-flagellation and um, wearing uncomfortable clothing, hard manual labor, no sex, obviously no sex, Mm -hmm. um, all those sorts of things. So Augustine comes from that tradition, but he also had all these stories that we know about him where like he had kids out of wedlock. He was in a long-term relationship with a, a, a prostitute essentially. And he feels really guilty about that, mm-hmm. but he feels really guilty about that sort of after he's joined the Manichees and then before he moves into Christianity properly. Mm. And so he goes to this really weird plot line of life where like he is, he's effed up and he's like, not actually grappling and handling in a psychotherapeutic way that we would expect people to do that now so that they don't sure. like push all of their internal psychoses toward everyone else. And yet he yep. has, and on top of it, he has influenced a very large religion Sure. <laughs> so that now all of us have inherited at least some level of his psychosis and his, his fear of embodiment, his fear of sexuality, his fear of going too far. Sure. He's basically the uh, the like the Josh Harris of the fourth century, right? Um, totally. I, I love Josh, and um, I and I love what Josh is doing now. Year and, and yeah, he's changed a lot. So like, of course, but like this idea of like, oh, I have absolutely no idea what the fuck's going on. Um, but everyone around me is telling me this, 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 and this, and it's causing me shame and guilt and this, and I'm going to do my life this way so I can be the perfect person. And then before I even have figured any of it out or actually managed to follow through on any of it, I'm going to write a book that millions of people read and use as a template. And this is basically Augustine, right? Who's like dealing with all this shame, all this like repressed stuff that he's just like trying to beat down and beat out of his body that he's been through and yet even when he comes out of all that stuff he's still in that stuff like there's a lot of stuff where he's right where he's writing where he's like ah, i'm screwed up i've messed up again like i've got his sexual stuff and i can't get rid of it but how do i get rid of it and do i need to it's not even part of me it's this body it's not me it's, it's like all that kind of gnostic kind of like undertones um it's just so crazy that then he becomes the poster child for like a whole like kind of strain of Christianity, which ultimately right. is what becomes, yeah, I mean, most of the Catholic and most of the Protestant, and certainly the Protestant church, but. Yeah. And like, what's frustrating about it is like, what is the main gift of Christianity as a tradition? Like, what did it, what was its massive breakthrough? Mm. The incarnation. Yeah. The, the divination of the body. Right. Like, what the heck are we doing here? Yeah. The whole idea is like your body is part of the mystical body of Christ. Like, mm. um, I don't know if Protestants actually have that concept of the mystical body of Christ. It's like a pretty important one in Catholicism. It's in there for some. So okay. it's, it's less of a, yeah. Less of a major thing. But it's basically the idea that like we are, we are all united in Christ and that sure. like we are able to participate in it. Um, yeah. 
I think and one so, of his contemporaries was um, Athanasius, and he was all about the the incarnation and the divinity of, of of mankind. And I think when you track the trajectories of both those writers and both those influencers, when you look through the Protestant Church, some people broke out of the majority of the Protestant Church when it started. Were really big fans of um, uh, of Augustine, but some people that broke out kind of did draw from that kind of like separate stream and went, no, Athanasius yeah. got some deep shit here man like god becoming a human like that means that humanity is divine that means that humanity can be like perfect like that's incredible perfect i don't know what that was pronunciation but <laughs> um, it can but, be like, perfected it, <laughs> i think that's where it was, you were headed. it was great um but but i think so there is that dynamic whereas i think throughout the catholic church there was always a juggling of both those saints both those saints were very much totally uh, revered um and so you never completely kind of rejected Athanasius's kind of like divine body, divine humanity, the incarnation, that kind of um, concept, from my understanding at least. Um, yeah, it's an interesting thing because you've got like this thread of of the more like scholarly oriented folks, like mm -hmm. the Augustan Aquinas people, but then there's also always this like thread of mysticism, and I think Athanasius uh, is sort of closer to the mystics he than is. he is to the Augustan folks. Um, I think that this would be a really Really fun time to bring up spiral dynamics though Let's because i think that it it yeah. explains a lot of what's going on with augustine so do you want to take turns explaining the different memes yeah go for it, it would be well, way I mean, more fun to do that yeah yeah why don't you start with like where augustine is because most people that are listening to this probably have um explored spiral dynamics or heard it about 10 times via me on some great. level beautiful um, okay so got, we can just dive in if, if you haven't right pause this podcast <laughs> go back to episode like 30 something where there is like seven episodes that are 17 hours long in total and go listen to my spiral dynamics there's no excuse for you not to understand all right and then come back 17 hours from now and hit play uh, no we'll, we'll we will go over it uh in kind of like broad uh, yeah but we the don't important ones I, I don't want to waste your time going too deep on spiral dynamics when we can um we can get much more into what you think about it because of spiral dynamics if that makes sense. totally so like if we look at augustine Especially during his, like, I'm hanging out with a prostitute and I'm, like, having sex with her and feeling guilty about it. And also, like, stealing the pear that's already rotten and all that stuff. That's classic, like, red, mm -hmm. right? Like, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a very much red understanding of... And I always confuse exactly what colors are spiral dynamics and which ones are Ken Wilber's. There's so, like leads, but yeah. But yeah, red, so red can... is certainly like that kind of like very heavy, egocentric, um, I want, I take, um, very... Toddler. You're a toddler. Yeah, that's it. It's exactly. Or you're it's, Donald it's, Trump. It's a toddler choose. <laughs> yeah, you didn't need to explain that. that, was, that you said it when you said toddler. <laughs> um, sorry, as an American, I feel the need to be like, it's all good. this is not okay. We don't support him. I don't support him. I'm sorry to the rest of the world. Um, that's, that's my own little like Augustine shame moment. Anyway, but so <laughs> red is all of that stuff. And that's where Augustine's coming from. And mm. I think that a lot of what he's writing about is like his own, I think in some ways he's, he's a little higher than this, but in a lot of ways, it's him going from that, that mentality of I take, I get, I want to a more blue amber understanding where it's like the communal is more important. Yeah. And I sometimes don't get what I want or put my own desires aside in order to serve the community. Sure. Which I think is what most Christian teachings are really trying to get people to, because that's a really important 
transition in development. And part of what yeah. spiral dynamics will talk about is that like, not only does this happen within each individual person, but it happens within collective communities over time. Yeah. So yeah, at that time, it was probably really fucking important for people to get from red to blue. Sure. And you can't beat up um, Augustine because when you actually look at the world at that time, if you were lucky, you were in that stage blue, being more traditional thought, more stable, more um, sacrificing the self for the greater goods, that kind of concept. That's a fresh concept. That is pretty brand new on the on the world stage. And a lot of the world were still very ego driven, very selfish, very violent, very um disordered quite chaotic um and so actually like you can't really fault augustine for being caught in the middle of those two worlds and trying to figure out how to navigate from one kind of psychological state to another because it's probably what most people were in the midst of in his world totally but it's like you know it's like it's like complaining that the toddler's a toddler and they're egocentric and it's like well duh it's a toddler right it's easier for us to complain that donald trump is at that stage you know some, someone right. like, but wait dude you're in your 70s or i don't know is he in his 70s it must be he is in his there, 70s right um but like you're like that was supposed to be kind of eking out of you around six or seven Right? Right. So you're exactly. like 65 years late dude uh, you know so at, at some point we go okay come on but actually for augustine like the society wasn't really moving beyond that point yet like maybe some profound individuals were like you know pushing beyond that but on the whole like i think it's important that we always like look at these people in history in context right i mean of course totally. he was like this um, and sorry. I think like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The other model that I really love is Robert Keegan's model. Robert Keegan is, I mean, Wilbur pulls from Keegan and Claire Graves, who did a spiral dynamics. Mm. And he also pulls from James Fowler, who does this whole thing, but specifically for stages spiritual of faith, yeah. stages of faith. Yeah. So Keegan's a, I think he's still at Harvard, but he's um, in the education department at Harvard. And he talks about this, he, the way that he develops it and talks about it is subject object theory. So you know, the thing that we ha are subject to in one stage becomes the object of the next stage. Um, and it sort of continues on like that. That doesn't make any sense when you say it out loud. So I'll give you a good example of it. Let's say you have a baby. A baby is subject to their body. And it's really frustrating for the parent because they have to be responsible for all of the things. And the baby's crying and crying and crying one day. And then all of a sudden realizes they actually have the ability to move their own body and they discover they can suck their thumb and oh my God, self-soothing and parents are so grateful. Mm. Now it is that that baby, what was what they were subject to their body becomes something that they are now, that is now an object that they can control. Mm. So the, the, their body has become the object. They are now subject to their desires. Mm. They are now in sort of stage two. There's one that I always skip in there because that's zero to one and then whatever, it doesn't matter. So when you're subject to your, your desires, you are that toddler who's like, I want the cookie, I go get the cookie. Right, no I'm thought still about. that toddler, but yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, as adults, we can choose when we wanna do it no, and that means we're not really subject to it, but cookies are amazing regardless of how old you are. So, you know, toddler reaches out for the cookie and grabs it, or you tell the toddler to sit down and they still like wiggle because they are not sub, they're subject to their desires. And right. eventually at a certain point, somewhere ideally this happens you know it's interesting because like this is actually gonna gonna persist for quite some time and we hope that people by the time they get to like 
high school get out of it really. Mm -hmm. So you're in some level of this sort of stage for quite some time. And that transition ends up being that like, okay, cool. Now I know how to sit in class and listen and not, you know, speak up. I know how to like concentrate. I know how to like tell my parents if I'm running late to get home, all those sorts of things. And then you're moving into stage three. So now you understand that your desires are things that you acknowledge, but mm -hmm. also that there's a community collective that you need to be a part of and you yeah. need to participate in that. So now, now, of course, this is what you're subject to is that collective experience. So mm -hmm. whether that be in the church of like you're subject to the collective teachings of the church, or if you're subject to like, I'm in the theater kids in, in high school. And so I do all the things that theater kids do. They like rent. Sure. I like rent, even though I don't love rent. I actually like something else. I, I say I like rent because I want to fit in with the group. The next thing that you become the subject object theory thing that I sort of alluded to earlier when I was talking about, you know, do I trust my own experience or do I trust the, the thing that the community is telling me is when you start to actually be no longer subject to the community. So you see the community's experiences and beliefs as object. And now you become subject to your, like, to your own self evolving existence. Mm. Um, so you become self-authoring is the fancy term that, that Keegan uses, but in that self-authoring, now you can choose what you're going to do. So sure. you can look at and see, okay, the church teaches this. Augustine says this. Hinduism says this, Judaism says this, Taoism says this, and I as the individual get to choose which ones I take and which ones I don't take. Wow. And that I think is really what, like that's the process of deconstruction when you're sure. talking about it. Yeah. Um, that's when it all starts to unravel for sure, right? Totally. Once you start going, wait, I can think for myself. Wait, that's what you're doing anyway? You're thinking for yourself? That's a shit idea. Like, why am I signed up to this? Or, yeah. Totally. <laughs> and so when you start to actually like, make that transition it's like wildly uncomfortable and so so scary and a lot of times like it gets held in our bodies in these weird ways but which is where sexuality piece comes in um i haven't actually said this yet but i work as a sex coach for christians okay. specifically I to help them through this process of this transition from like sort of the subject object component of like Amazing. beliefs around a, a thing and then how do you actually experience this for yourself and make your own decisions and all that kind of stuff mm. um i don't usually pull out subject object theory while i'm coaching people but it's a useful sure you model use it know. but yeah 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 that's always the case though right i mean like yeah <laughs> and like in spiral dynamics if you're if you're tracking this um keegan's model is slightly different than spiral dynamics but you're basically looking at that like blue to orange to green Sure. So stage That's four kind of in season. Keegan is orange and green in yeah. spiral dynamics, Wilbur, et cetera, integral yeah. theory. That's so interesting. It's really fascinating. I need to, I need to um, research that more. Is, is he got any, um, has he got a book or something specifically about? Totally. Keegan's subject? got like, a lot of books. What, what um, would you recommend starting with? I would read the evolving self first. Okay. And you are familiar with James Fowler. So like James Fowler yeah. uses the same theory, but he's just putting it on to the idea of faith. Yeah. Um, and of course, faith for him isn't actually a belief in God. Faith is like your belief in whatever it is that your underpinning beliefs are. So mm. you could be atheist and still go through stages of faith. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's a really important thing to take note of. Um, 
and that actually like the atheistic turn is actually really important for people in a lot of ways because it means that they're Huge. moving from stage three of faith to stage four of faith where they are yeah. sort of actively engaged in the process of creating their own faith yeah and, and for many like you can't get to later stages of faith um that might be revolving around the divine, you know, God, faith, maybe a specific faith, Hinduism, Buddhism, Christianity, is for many, they can't get to that place without going through atheism because they have to lose what they had. They have to, any concept of divine that they had before has to die. Um, and I think that's why it's so funny for Christians because they get so scared by people becoming atheists. But to me, I'm like, I get psyched. I get excited. I'm like, Oh wow. You found out what you used to believe isn't true. That's exciting. What's next? Like, it's exciting. totally, it's like, um, you are actually at a point of like more spiritual growth, which is always what I start people with whenever I do, like I'm doing a training in a week. And the, always the thing that I start is like, you are growing. Mm. You're not, backsliding you're growing your doubts yeah. are proof that you are growing towards something better and in the same way that like mark gaffney that guy i mentioned before who's a little controversial my one of my other favorite things that he says is the god you don't believe in doesn't exist mm. so like yeah if you stop believing in a god it's because that image of god wasn't sufficient for reality and it doesn't mean that like, I think one thing that's really challenging for people is that they end up hating or feeling really spiteful toward where they came from. Yeah. And I think that's, that's fine to feel for a little while, but if you really want to grow, it's important to like move beyond that. You've got to learn to integrate it, right? You've right. Got to... um, so I don't want to like shame anybody if you're feeling spiteful toward where you were raised by all means, hate it for a while. Cause you're, it's, it's healthy, right? Yeah. There was a, yeah, I've literally stood in church and looked at the crucifix and said, fuck the church, like screamed it. And it was in one of those big like cathedral style churches nice. where like, fortunately I was alone. There was no one else there and it just echoed <laughs> and it felt so good. Highly recommend that experience for people. It was who a are much feeling... better picture in my head when you were in the middle of mass though. I <laughs> <laughs> no, my sister's done that. I haven't done that <laughs> That's one. so funny. Um, wow. <laughs> God, my sister and I, that... <laughs> together we are a force of nature um so yes if the catholic church doesn't allow female priests it will probably be cut be because of amanda and i doing weird things like that in the middle of mass so what where was i going with this before i got sidetracked um fuck the church you've got to come to peace with it right so yeah. like you and part of that gotta come to peace with the fact that like yeah these people weren't teaching you something that was untrue they were teaching you something that was sufficient for an earlier stage of development sure. which tells you more about where they're coming from rather than where god is or what yeah. god is or what the divine is or the universe or whatever language you want to use because ultimately it doesn't matter yeah. that which is um yeah so trying to figure out like what's the how do you come to that 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 peace and i think for me a lot of that finding peace for myself was from learning these stages and models and being like, okay, cool. This person isn't wrong. My understanding of God wasn't, wasn't untrue. It was just mm. not the whole picture. And yeah. so what I've needed and what I've done is grow my image of God. What's also cool is knowing that now my image of God is much bigger, but it's probably not actually sufficient. In fact, it will never be sufficient because sure. understanding exactly what is what is going on in the universe is something that we can't know, mm. right? Whether you're an astronomer who's understanding that like, okay, 
the universe is 13.1 billion years old. I have no idea how to fathom what a billion years is because my brain is a human brain that thinks mostly in like one year increments if I'm lucky. <laughs> like maybe I can fathom what a decade is, but not even that really. Like, right. um, yeah, so it feels like it would be impossible for us and it's really ultimately folly and great hubris to believe that I could possibly understand what the divine is. But what I can do mm. is understand a little taste of it. And like to understand that, you know, the divine is this massive thing or the universe is this massive thing that we can't possibly understand. And you can't fit the entire ocean in like a thimble. But mm -hmm. what you can do is have a little bit of the ocean in your thimble. And so the idea I think is to figure out how is it that I, as that thimble, can, can get that like a little part of me that a little part of God is actually held in my thimble. Mm. And that's more important than understanding like what the fuck the ocean is, because you, you're going to, you're going to fail at that project. You can sure. try by all means. That, and I think that's why churches fail is because they're trying to say, I understand the entire ocean. Sure. But and they're trying to be so black and white about it. As totally. Well, right? So as soon as you make it a dualistic kind of concept of like, you can sum up the divine, you can sum up existence, you can sum up what this moment is. Like you are nailing everything down, being fixed and going, we can't move from this spot. Um, but everything moves forward, right? That's the very nature of the divine in this universe and existence and, and being is it's constantly being dragged forwards whether it likes it or not um and then when you add that into like there's seven billion of us being dragged forwards whether we like it or not it doesn't matter if two billion of us hate that and we want to be fixed in the past it doesn't matter we are being dragged forward and we're being exposed more and more with every minute that what we have nailed down at one point going oh we finally arrived it's not correct and we're gonna have to update it we're gonna have to have a vatican too we're gonna have to have a protestant reformation we're gonna have to have a great awakening we're gonna have to have these these moments where we go all right guys we, we updated it we figured it out now that's funny because we then figure it out right we then just start nailing everything down and building a new <laughs> thing as if like this isn't going to keep happening um but i think this is the beauty of once you um you know some people talk about integral theory and things like that as, as almost waking up like they're like in maybe some of the later stages of this evolution of this growth you become aware um, like almost having this self-awareness of going, oh, I'm just growing. It's just growth. And you realize, oh, that's what toddlers do. Oh, that's what teenagers do. Oh, that's what people do like at this age or at this stage. Um, and then you can look at your prior stage in your Christian upbringing and you go, well, that was really helpful for me. That was a good thing. That was amazing. That was exactly what I needed in that season of life. Now, unfortunately, it's never exactly what we need. Um, <laughs> but it was, for the most part, helpful. You know, it really did. It gave me some stability and some certainty and some security in the time where I was in tumultuous, like, experience. Um, and, and you go, yeah, that's not a bad thing. Um, what's bad about it is that we then go, and this is the only way to live your life, and you should live this life for the next 70 years. Because that's not necessarily going to be very healthy for you. And it will start to hinder you. It will start to hinder you when you start exploring and, or you, um, you wake up and you realize, Oh gosh, I'm actually gay crap. Cause the, the, the static box that I'm in doesn't let me do that anymore. Like right. so what, what do I do now? Right. And, and so I think it's just being aware. Oh, these are helpful 
formative stages because it allows you to look back on your prior self and that's why we hate our prior stages right that's why we look back and go this sucks is we, we hate why did the, i do that thing it, but it's really it's all just this big internal shame that we were deceived that we were so stupid that whatever which isn't true right it's, it's not that we were intentionally deceived by some you know evil you know whatever the pope the pastor whatever these people are well-meaning people that it just still works for them on some exactly. level or another it just works for them still and, and maybe like they even know some of it's not true but it works for them so they're gonna just keep doing it and they expect and it to work for others. what's so challenging i think is like once you have that image of like okay this is growth for me like can you also feel compassion and be accepting of people who are at an earlier stage even if they are in positions of power almost yeah. in particular, right? So like, mm-hmm. how do I grow in compassion for the priest at my parents' parish who tells me <laughs> a variety of things that I absolutely hate and will debate him on forever and ever and ever, amen. Mm-hmm. Um, because like, he is just stuck. And I think it's really, what's, what's painful to me still is looking at an institution like the Catholic Church, which I deeply love because I was raised in it and, and think that it, it grounded me in an understanding of God, or at least gave me experiences of the divine at an early age that I think I can still carry with me as like, sure. that experience was real. My interpretation of it was, you know, from a very particular lens, but the experience mm-hmm. is still real, which I think is an important differentiation to, to have. Is like, if you had an experience of God when you were seven and you believed that God was a man that lived in the sky and had a white beard, like, that experience is real. Your interpretation of it could use some updating. Sure. Um, but like, how do I still have compassion for the people who do believe and are adults? Like, cause there are adults in the world who believe that there is a man that lives in the sky that has sandals and a long beard. And like, there's a, you know, physical heaven that we will go to at some point in time. That's like somewhere up there because of, you know, the Ascension or whatever. Yeah. And that I find really challenging still Um, i think when you start to look at i think man i'm so me and my wife are watching a series on tv um it's a documentary series done by um local television in the uk and they're looking at people that get um cancel homing so homes from the state um and so we've got quite a we've got a fantastic safety net and to be honest with you in the uk it's it's phenomenal like no one needs to be homeless at all um uh and, and really, I the only person that... is homeless is someone that has mental health issues. Like literally any other person a... would, would have a home if, if they needed. Um, it's complex. It's messy. It's not perfect, blah, blah, blah. But the point being, you watch it and you, I grew up so poor. Like we grew up really poor. And even in that, I'm watching the show and I'm like, Jesus, some of these people's experiences and walks and, and life. Um, and you, you look at that and I'm like, God, they need the traditional church. That's what they actually need. They need this community that will come in and be safe for them and love them and give them certainty and security and some stability and help them get back on their feet and be there for them and teach them some routine and different things. You know, I'm talking about like one of the guys was like, he was arrested at 18 for armed robbery. He like, he's, he was an idiot child, right? He grew up in like a terrible situation that like formed him into someone that would be an armed robber at 18, you know, went to jail for like, I think it was like 22 years, came out. And is in this like home given him by the government, you know, they're assisting him with his income and they're trying to get him jobs. No one's wanting to employ him. Right. Cause right. he's a robber. And it's like, he's like in his like forties now. And he's like, I, I'm like, 
I'm not that kid anymore. And I've never had an opportunity to speed up, but he doesn't even know how to like clean his house and keep it nice. And, you know, he doesn't have curtains on the wall because he's like, I don't know. How to, he's like, I bought curtains, but I don't know how to put them on the wall. And no one's able to teach me how to hang a curtain. Um, and you just, and I'm like, God, I want to go and quit my job and just spend a week with him and just hang out with him, you know? Like, if you think, but I'm like, that's where the church comes in and is phenomenal. The church, however, is not phenomenal when you're, I don't know, trying to build some, I don't know, uh, green utopian society. <laughs> it's like, and it's trying to drag people backwards and going, no, 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 no gay, no this, no that, or whatever, no sex before marriage. Um, but it actually is a really helpful thing for people in those, because this guy has lived red, right? He's yeah. lived in that egocentric stage. You know, I want, I get, I'll go arm robbery. I don't have anyone that's taught me to lessen myself for the sake of community and all these different things. And you don't get to the later stages without going through those early stages and so i look at some things and i'm like of course we have someone like trump in charge of course the evangelical church is such a big force in america because a lot of america need that they need the stability and the safety and the security and the whatever but what is it for me to stop demonizing that to stop tutting and rolling my eyes or if i'm honest much more likely get really angry every time i read the news and instead to go oh of course that's what you need how can i provide what you need in a better package Right. Right. How can I create something that's a package that works for everyone rather than just for you or just for me, which is how we like to do things now. Um, It's just such a different question, but you have to understand these stages before that ever works. Right. Sorry. It's a big ramble, but I'm just like, I think this is so key to how we see and then integrate our past. Um, Because I mean, I imagine this is a huge issue for you working with people working through their sexual kind of hangups, purity culture stuff. Like in my experience, most of the people working through that are not in a place to integrate and accept their kind of evangelical past or their Christian past. So they're, they're angry, they're upset, they're, and that's a big part of moving forward in my experience. Would, would you say I mean, the same thing? Or? I think sometimes that's true and sometimes it's not. It sort of depends okay. on the individual because some people are like, you know, I have like one client right now who's like, she's, she's pretty green just generally. And so like, she's sort of done a lot of healing stuff yeah. around a lot of other things. You know, it's like, she's done the yoga retreats and she's done the like, you know, every possible like Reiki and acupuncture and psychotherapy and all that stuff. And so I think that some people actually have done all that work. And then they are yeah. realizing that like, even with all of that stuff that's I've, that I've worked on, I still don't feel comfortable having sex unless you know, unless I'm intoxicated, unless I, or I only feel comfortable having sex in certain positions. I don't really feel free. Mm. I don't feel comfortable giving somebody, giving my husband a blowjob or, um, yeah. Or somebody else who's like, yeah, there's like all those different things. It could also be the person who's like totally, you know, they're, they're past religion. They're totally done. They're very orange. There was this one guy I knew who super hyper orange had kids that were in college. So he was like, at least in his probably late forties, early fifties and still felt guilty when he masturbated. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if that's your struggle, like you realize that it's a struggle. Yeah. Obviously he's still going to masturbate even if he feels a little guilty, but how sure. do we really extract that guilt out of him so that he can just feel yeah. free? And I do think that a key piece of it is, going back and reclaiming some of that spiritual stuff and mm-hmm. realizing that at least 
one part of your brain still has an image of God that is not useful. Yeah. And it, it it's obviously not the totality of, of your belief system, but at least a tiny bit of it still needs to have us, you know, I want to use the phrase a come to Jesus moment with the image of God, but it's kind of a weird mixed metaphor in that case. <laughs> but like, you want to like sit with that image of God and be like, okay, I see you. I see that you've got something that was useful for me, but we need to grow you up into something better. Sure. And I think that's like a, one of the things that I like to think about and say is that like, you know, you're only as sexually free as your spiritual beliefs allow you to be. Yeah. And so if, if any, and it's not even like your conscious spiritual beliefs, but even your unconscious spiritual beliefs. And I think those are the pieces that are like really, really deeply ingrained. Like I was telling my sister the other night, um, I was doing a meditation and I used the, I was, I'd done, I had a fight with my father-in-law that I wasn't feeling particularly proud of. And I thought to myself, I was like, what would, what would God think of this experience? And I used the word God, which I usually don't, but I'd like mm. listened to a meditation earlier that had used it and thought it would be useful. So I used that language and God in my head was incredibly ashamed of everything I did and was very shaming of me wow. in that moment. And I was like, that's not useful. That's not really helpful <laughs> at all. Especially cause like, you're like, no, no, no. I want God to be like, you know, right. loving and accepting and like, you know, being able to hold the whole experience. And then I shifted the language. I was like, okay, God, I'm putting you over here. Okay, Mary Magdalene, what do you think of this experience? And she was like, you are a fucking fierce, badass woman. And you totally did what you needed to do. And yeah, okay, we can work on the delivery in the future. And I was like, sweet. Interesting to know that I still have a little bit of patriarchal bullshit in my God image. Mm, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that wouldn't have come up if it hadn't been for this like sort of not usually the way I pray. I'm usually like a more Buddhist meditation person, just like sit me in silence. And sure. sometimes I use like imagery to help or like feeling into my body. But in this particular situation, it was really cool to be able to see that like, interesting, that like God in my mind is still going to hate me in a yeah. way for being unempowered female person. Yeah. Um, how, do you, how do you help people walk through this? Because I, man, I got baggage galore, I reckon, in, in a whole host of different areas that um, I, I'm probably half-acidly working through, like, if I'm honest. So, like, I like to do the work, but, like, I'll, I'm scatterbrained and I do it in 13 different areas at once and never make any progress. Um, but in my experience, people are dealing with so much shame. And this is maybe a little bit of a leading question because I've heard you speak on shame and I love it. Um, <laughs> but... Um, there's so much stuff there like you and it doesn't even have to be shame but there's there's these things that create these these default responses right where where when you dig deep and it's like it's not conscious right if i asked you consciously what do you think is the nature of the divine you wouldn't think this patriarchal asshole is going to shame me for saying something to my father-in-law right i mean like it's like that's not how you would answer right and yet it turns out it's actually an accurate answer on some level um and so like what is it that's what is it that has us holding on to those things and how do we how do we do that work how do we kind of explore i mean that's a cool analogy of like you know taking it like the, the the old gray beard guy out in the sky i would put it to the side and go okay what if i explore the divine as some sort of female attribute does that ex- open it up differently or I, I love that but are there different exercises that you've worked with people to kind of help dig that totally because the subconscious stuff is subconscious right i don't know what i'm 
what weird stuff is fucking me up. I really yeah. don't know. I got some <laughs> ideas. But. I'm going to go through like two different practices. I'm going to write them okay. down first so that like I don't forget. Um, okay. So the first thing to know is that shame is a response that happens in our brains, right? And it's a shame response is actually quite positive, which is probably what you've heard me speak about is mm -hmm. going back to that image of a toddler. They're crawling across the floor. They're going to stick their, they're about to stick their hand in the socket and you being the loving adult in the room say, stop. <laughs> and that toddler has a flood of hormones that goes through their body right. that feels so overwhelming to them that it makes them cry. Those hormones are part of our sympathetic nervous system response. Those are the things that make us fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. And a lot of times in our bodies when we're that little, it's such an overwhelming response of hormones that like we just get overwhelmed and we cry. Sure. I mean, we um, still do, right? As adults, maybe. Exactly. I, I do, right? <laughs> we totally still do. It's sometimes, you know, it's like if you're feeling embarrassed, that's also a sympathetic yeah. nervous system response. Um, and ultimately, right, if you're having this experience, usually people don't see me unless they're somewhat conscious of the fact that this is, is what's going on. It's like sure. they think about having sex or they think about masturbating and they start to feel a little shame or guilt or they do it. And then after the fact, they feel really guilty and they, you know, they, they pray about it and they confess their sins and that sort of thing. But recognizing that that shame response is actually like, okay, it's a, it's a physiological thing that's going to happen. And it's the result of a loving, caring adult coming into the space and telling you this is unsafe. Sure. So it's actually a protective mechanism, which is really great to have. Maybe not for masturbation, but it's a really useful thing to have some sort of protective mechanism. Mm. So it's cool to know that it's a protective mechanism, first and foremost. The second thing is to note that, like, let's say this happened in real life. The kid pulls, like, starts screaming after they almost touch the thing and you tell them to stop. Being the loving, caring adult in the room, you're going to walk over to them, scoop them up, and coddle them, and hug them, and give them kisses, and pet them, and make them feel better, and tell them it's all okay, and they didn't do anything wrong, and this is fine, and whatever. So we get to do the same thing for ourselves as adults. Mm. Like the self-parenting role has to take, has to come into play. And so the first thing I usually have people do is to literally just do a physical, like a, a mental exercise of this where, you know, first you give yourself permission to explore their conversation because permission giving is so important. Even if it feels kind of simplistic, it's always the first step, giving yourself sure. permission. Um, then we go into, okay, what's the shame? Like, what is the shame response come up against? And then we ask the shame what it's trying to protect you from mm. or protect you for, right? So like, what is, what's the protective mechanism there? And then can you have a conversation with the shame that's trying to protect you and like, give it a fun name, like Lorraine or something. Some like old lady name where you can like imagine her like shaming you. Um, and she looks at you or you look at her and you tell her, you know, thank you so much for helping me, for protecting me from, you know, getting pregnant before I was married. If it's like, you're shamed about having sex before marriage or, you know, not being able to develop good relationships or whatever it is, you know, like you can figure out what it what think, just use your imagination to figure out like, what is it that this person was trying to protect me from? And sometimes it could even be like protecting me from going to hell. And you're like, thanks Lorraine for trying to protect me from going to hell, but I don't really believe that hell's a thing anymore. And I really know that like being in touch with my body is going to be safe and good. And so 
I can trust myself to take care of me and make sure I don't go to hell. <laughs> but thank you so much for your service. Mm. And so often just giving that part of yourself acknowledgement that it exists and that ultimately it's trying to help you can do so much for you to just release a little bit of that shame. Mm. And it's a practice that like you do it once and then you do it again and you do it again and you do it again <laughs> until finally it sort of works. Yeah. On a more practical, physical level, there's a couple of things. And I, I'm going to use the masturbation example because it seems to be the one that comes up most for people. Obviously, sure, people are really also ashamed of like, yeah. So, yeah, a lot of people also, of course, are ashamed of having sex generally or whatever, dressing in a sexy way, whatever it is, right? Having a relationship that's a friendship with somebody of the opposite sex. Sure. Um, Me doing my nails, thing, maybe. I don't know. Exactly. You doing your nails. Talk to yourself. What is it trying to protect you from? <laughs> the other thing that's really cool to do is to, to neurologically connect that behavior that you associate shame with, with something that's positive that you don't have shame around. Mm. So basically that that's using a neurological concept that neurons that fire together, wire Wire together, together. right? So if every time that you've ever masturbated, masturbated for your entire life, you felt shame, it's in your brain, Right. right? It's, it's, it's in there on a, on a neurological, like cellular level that shame response lights up when you start to touch yourself. And so how do we shut that down in a very physical way? And so mm. this is involves, first off, really engaging your sympathetic, your parasympathetic nervous system, right? So your sympathetic nervous system is the fight or flight response. Your parasympathetic nervous system is resting, digesting, healing, all those good things. So you start by doing something that's going to put you in a parasympathetic state, mm. something that's relaxing. Maybe you take a bath. Maybe you listen to your favorite podcast. Maybe you you know, read a book, light a candle, sip some tea, whatever it is that's going to calm you down. On a physical level, you might start with gentle touch of places in your body that don't feel quite so triggering. Maybe Mm. you're going to play with your hair. Maybe you're going to touch your shoulder. Maybe you're going to, you know, I always have feathers around. I have a feather right here. So maybe you're going to take a feather and you're going to like brush the inside of your arm um, because that is automatically going to calm you down. Inside of your arms are really, really sensitive. So is any place where you bend. Nice little tip for if you're making out with somebody. You want to kiss something more interesting? Kiss something that bends. Inside of the wrist, inside of the arm, the elbow pit, behind the Hot knee. Tip. Right? Fun. Um, so do something that's going to calm you down. And then see if you can ask your body permission to touch your genitals. Mm. And obviously this is like a... a carve out some time for the process because you, you want to take the time to actually get your body in a parasympathetic state. Check in with the genitals, check in with yourself. If they tell you it's okay to touch them, touch them. Right. If you don't and hear you, Lorraine like screaming exactly, at you. Exactly. Precisely. And if you do hear Lorraine speak screaming at you, then you give her a little moment. You chat with her. You do the exercise I just sure. mentioned. See if you can calm her down and then ask permission again. And if you get another no, you know, you can repeat the exercise or you can say, okay, today's not the day it's going to happen and it's okay. I'll try again tomorrow. Um, It's all about also being gentle with yourself because you don't want to push too hard because then you're just going to reinvigorate the shame even more than you did before. So taking your time, being really gentle, touch yourself, enjoy it. And then after the fact, do something else that's pleasurable to you that you have a positive association with. So it doesn't necessarily mean that like you're going to go 
eat ice cream or something, but like if there's something that you have a positive association with that you feel like it's really good. So maybe it's, I'm trying to think of a good example from my own life. Nothing in my life feels good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like looking around, what's good? What's good right now? Um, That's funny. Yeah. I don't know. Like maybe I might play piano because playing piano is something that I find pleasure in. So I'm going to sure. go do that and sort of continue to connect masturbation with positive experiences on yeah. either end of it. Things that are going to make me feel really good. Um, and maybe Rather than even, like just sit and beat ourselves up, which totally. is probably what we're default response is, right? When exactly. We rain screaming in our ear. We're feeling <laughs> that rush of guilt, which, or even just that, that rush of endorphins and, and the hormones that, um, I know like talking to couples again and again, and again, newlywed couples that have held on to marriage or whatever, basically the only times they have ever orgasmed in their life. And it may be thousands or it may be once or maybe never like, but generally speaking, every single orgasm they have ever had in their life is associated with, I'm a piece of shit. How disappointing to God am I? And then they orgasm in their marriage bed, even if they, if they get that far, if they're lucky. Right. But when they, they're like literally like finish having sex and they're literally sitting there going, like why do i feel like a piece of shit why do i feel so crap like this this was supposed to be amazing it was supposed to be good but it is that we have these like default thoughts that we run through these default experiences that we've we've burned neuro highways in our brain right totally wired together and fired together it's like oh i've got like millions and they're all burned (laughs) together and they're all negative (laughs) like um And so that's a really interesting um, concept. I've never thought of that before, but like, yeah. Yeah. Cause I have chronic pain, which is same sort of deal. Mm. It's not linked to a physical injury anymore. You may have used to be, um, but the nature of chronic pain is that, that you've now learned to fire pain when you use certain parts of your body. Um, and, and it's exactly the same. You're supposed to like talk to your, talk to the pain, go, look, I appreciate you letting me know when I use my hands, it's, that that's dangerous, but it's actually not dangerous anymore because I'm not injured. So I appreciate you saying that, but I'm fine. And then you're trying to like, you know, wire it together with other things that are positive, that are helpful so that you go, oh, when I use my hands, I feel good. It's fine. Um, or whatever it is that you've cried. Yeah. Hands. Um, but it's really interesting how this runs so deep. It's not, it, it, it's just such a like, um, hardwired psychological scarring in a lot of ways but actually the the data is out there that it's a really easy to heal thing in a sense it we can do these practices and rewire the brain we can't the, the brain is extremely plastic uh, totally it's not once it's oh well that's just the way i am now i just i can't enjoy sex i can't, can't teach you know, an old whatever. dog new tricks <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah um but that's so that's incredible um it's really really amazing great um yeah yeah and i think like part of it too is knowing that it's it's gonna take time Mm. right in the same way that like i mean with chronic pain it's the same thing like there was a real experience that was there for a really long time and that's why it's continuing so like knowing that it's not going to be something that you do once it's something that you're doing consistently for a a while and eventually it will shift and and it'll shift subtly but then one day you'll wake up and you'll masturbate and you'll be like, that was good. Period. That was good. Um, yeah. The other thing that I also help people a lot with is like just figuring out what they like mm. and figuring out that like so much of it's also for, for people is you've had a very small container of what's acceptable sexual experiences. Mm-hmm. 
And okay, great. You break out of that box. That box no longer exists. But then does that mean that you should be okay with doing everything? Right. What is your new container or what are your new boundaries? Yeah. And and really asking yourself the question of like, is this boundary being put up because I'm scared of trying it? Or is it because I'm like still feeling a little bit of shame? Or is it because it's just not something that's interesting to me? Which like, you don't have to try stuff that's not interesting to you. Even if you're, you know, sexually empowered and alive and free, like, if I don't want to- being empowered and free, right? Exactly. It's like, if I don't ever want to wear a dog collar, I don't ever have to fucking wear a dog collar. Like, that's just not my place. That's not my thing. Um, Mm. And that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with people who do that. That also doesn't mean there's anything wrong with me for deciding that's not something I want. But- it's, you know, being able to craft your own container and really actually knowing what those boundaries are. Yeah. Which is where Tantra comes in. Mm. Okay, talk to me about that. <laughs> um, oh, actually, hold on, pause. Right, we'll write, I'll write Tantra down because I want to go on that. But I'm just intrigued because a, a really linked component of this that I've, I've seen again and again, I've had people talk to me again and again about, I don't know why people talk to me about anything, to be honest with you, but leasing <laughs> specifically, I'm like, I have never on any level publicly ever claimed to know anything about sex. Um, so I don't know why people are going, hey, my marriage, I'm experiencing <gasps> this, is this normal or whatever? I guess because it's linked to deconstruction or whatever, but I don't know. So please stop emailing me and start messaging Rachel. Um, <laughs> but one of the things that I'm fascinated by in that conversation of, of discovering what you like, discovering what you're into, all these different things, something that happens again and again and i'll put my hand up and go i am shit at this i have like shame vulnerability issues whatever it is communicating what we like communicating like hey would you like this do you like that or even communicating hey i think i'd like to try this or that and like and that is extremely it's a vulnerable thing for the vast majority of people to do anyway but i think there's something about having been in the church where good God, you don't mention anything that like, cause it's bad enough, right? If you masturbate at 16, right? Which is like a uh, hello, like that's like something I do. <laughs> you should be um, masturbating exactly, at 16. Like, but, but I'm feeling terrible about it constantly. And I'm certainly not like, so I feel bad about that. And I'm on my best day. I'm trying to figure out how to feel brave enough to tell my leader I did it again. And like, I need prayer or whatever. And my accountability beating each other up or whatever, all that kind of crazy up shit right but that's hard enough never mind for me to go oh hey and it was to this type of porn which i really like you know like that's <laughs> like you know we're not we're not geared around that right we're not having totally. that conversation right it's not uh, it's not a, like oh so what do you like what are your kinks like what are that but that just doesn't happen um and i think even more so for females i think so for males it's one thing but i think um for females there's this this like weird purity model of like you're basically supposed to have no sexuality at all and then you're supposed to be some flipping sexual deviant that's usually linked to all the porn i watched as a child right like or not child as a teenager um but you know like you're supposed to then suddenly become one of these porn stars that like knows everything and does everything but like so women even more so have spent all this time repressing any sexual thoughts of going well i'm not supposed to and i know that's a broad generalization i know that's not everyone's experience but it's maybe an experience that the church tries to uh, impose like do you um have tips for people that are looking to and again i'm i'm asking myself i'm like i want to learn how to be more vulnerable and open and part of that's just write some brene brown share or something it's like just be more (laughs) right um but 
I can imagine that you have some thoughts on how people go about um, not just discovering what they like, but learning to communicate what they like, or even um, something that I'm fascinated about. Um, I was reading um, Linda K. Klein's Pure. I was rereading it recently because I'm going to interview her. Amazing book on purity culture, really good stuff. Um, but she talks about, what was she saying that was so relevant to this? She was talking about, oh, it's totally slipped my mind. Anyway, let's pause there. And if it comes back, it comes back. But do, do you have thoughts on this kind of um, area? Yeah. So there's a couple of things. One is that admitting to yourself that you want something and, and being able to communicate that with somebody else is two different processes, right? Sure. So for being able to admit to yourself that you like something, I think it's really helpful to put yourself in communities that encourage openness, right? So that community could be something as simple as like listening to podcasts, being in like my Facebook group or, you know, having a coach that's being supportive of you in that space, or it could be, you know, finding the local high-end sex store in your neighborhood and going to their workshops and through there being like, okay, I'm in an environment Especially if you're at a workshop where like most of those workshops are not hands-on. So you don't have to worry about like, I'm going to have to touch somebody. (laughs) It's mostly like informative. So you're sitting there and you're like, you just know that you're in a sex positive community where you're around people that can talk about this stuff that can normalize it for you, because Mm -hmm. that's mostly what's really important. And I know for myself, like what was so helpful was having both partners that like people I was dating who were open sexually Mm. and were open-minded sexually so that I did have in particular one person I dated was somebody where any desire I had, I could bring to him and say, let's try this. And he was totally game. Mm. And like feeling that space of being like, it's all going to be okay. I'm not going to get judged for wanting this or wanting to try this. Like he's going to And on the other hand, his work was also to like, okay, great. I don't actually know anything about rope bondage. Let me go do research on it so that I can like do a basic tie and not kill you. Um, And when you're in a partnership, then that means that like you're doing this collectively, right? So Mm. it's like, we're collectively learning this thing, knowing that when you start doing it, it's not going to be sexy yet. Sure. Right. Like, you know, I have a couple of clients. You're going to get rope burned the first time because no idea (laughs) what's happening. Right. I have a couple of clients right now who like really want to try anal play. It's not going to be great the first time. Right. Like maybe you're lucky it will be, but like you're going to have to take some practice. Mm-hmm. And there's really great resources out there, which is awesome to know about. Sure. You can I mean, lots- it's 2020, guys. Like, right. like, it's, like It's an amazing world we live in to educate, for sure. And like one of my favorite places to look for educational videos on sex is the Alexander Institute. Um, and they have downloadable videos with real people in them. So you're not looking at like porn star bodies. You're looking right. at like everyday normal bodies, which is really awesome because- None of us need more complexes about our bodies. Let's just no. be honest. Um, and so that can be really useful. And they literally have things on like practically any topic you can think of. So if there's anything you're interested in trying, that's a good place to start is go to the that's Alexander awesome. Institute and like pay the 10 bucks for the random DVD that you can find there. So that's downloadable as opposed to something that gets shipped. So I'll there's that. that link in the show notes for people. Yeah. That sounds like a great resource. Um, it's kind of a weird website. So I'll, I'll, send it to you later but okay perfect there's like a like it's a non-intuitive url so putting yourself in some space where you're feeling communally that there's acceptance around whatever it is that you're wanting and like you know literally there's anybody who's out there who wants to do anything there's somebody there who's going to be game 
Mm-hmm. So whatever yep. your like little desire in you is, the story that Dan Savage is, is like, there's the, the kid at one of the, not kid, cause he was a college student, was a college student at one of his talks who like really felt like he was going to get turned on by having a pie slammed in his face. And he was like, I don't think anyone's ever going to want to do this. And Dan was like, if you want to come to my hotel room later on, I will slam a pie in your face. face. Yeah. Right. And you're like, sweet. There's somebody out there who's going to be game. And when you're in a partnership, that's when it can come a little bit more. There has to be some level of like openness on both sides to the experience. Sure. There needs to be some sort of mutual consention, consension, consent. Consent. Yeah. That's what I was looking for. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So you've got, the component of putting yourself in community so that you've got that. The other thing when you're telling a partner about what you want, don't do it in the bedroom. Mm. Like have the conversation in a neutral space. So like on your couch is fine where you're talking about and just opening up the conversation of like, I want to have a conversation about our desires. Sure. A great method for this is put out by this guy named Reed Mahalko. Um, his website is read about sex, R-E-I-D. Um, and he has this thing called the difficult conversations format or outline, something along those lines. What he says to do, which I love and I use all the time. I've used this with like my bosses when I've tried to like negotiate stuff. I've used it with my husband. I've used it with my mom. I've used it with like professors. It works for everybody Mm. on any topic, but you start by saying, is this a good time to talk? Person you're talking with either says yes or no. Then when you tell them, you're like, okay, I want to talk to you about something. Don't tell them what. And I'm afraid that when I talk about this, you will respond in this way. You'll think I'm weird. You'll be angry with me. You'll, you know, whatever. And then you say, what I'm hoping will happen from this conversation is that we'll feel closer together, that we'll get to explore something new together, that we'll feel more connected. And then you say, here's the thing that I'm thinking about. You know, I'm thinking about how much I want to try anal sex and like, are you open to trying that with me? And I think just having that sort of model, what it really does Mm -hmm. is it helps prime the person to do the thing you want them to do. Sure. And it tells them nobody wants to let somebody down. So if you tell them that you don't want them to think you're weird, they're going to try their hardest to not think you're weird. Yeah. And even Um, if they're going to say hey that is just not something i want to try you've you've communicated look this is my fear my fear is if you reject this this uh ask or question or desire i'm gonna feel that you think i'm a weirdo that i'm disgusting whatever so when you've given them the the parameters of that at least they can say look i don't want to do that but it's not because i think that's weird or it's disgusting i think that's a really normal desire for some people to have but i feel right now i'm not ready for that i feel a bit uncomfortable with my own body or what but they can i think that's a beautiful component of like when you make yourself vulnerable and share what your fears are people generally speaking want to try and make sure they they coddle those fears in a safe place you know and go look that that's not what we're gonna be poking at um, yeah i get that yeah because generally speaking you're in the bedroom and you go hey let's try anal and your wife goes oh no i don't want to do that you immediately those fears are the things that you're in your head you're going oh she hates me she thinks i'm disgusting oh god i can't even look at her for the next three days or you know and it was probably none of that right right and like um, rejection it feels so much oh, bigger when it comes to our sexuality right like well everyone feels rejection more when they have an erection 
that too. I just think that's a, a, a rule for life. I've just made that up on the spot, but I think it's a truism that will last the ages. Um, I like it. It rhymes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that, yeah, that model I think is a really helpful one. And you mm. can even use it for like, even having the conversation about desires to be like, yeah. I'm afraid that even if I even bring up conversations about our desires, you'll feel like you're in, you're inadequate sexually. Right. Cause that's like, that's the, the main fear that happens in people's bedrooms when you're in a long-term partnership and somebody asks for something that hasn't happened before is like, wait, does that mean that everything we've ever done was like right. not to your satisfaction? Have you hated the last 25 years? Like, exactly. Did you fake every orgasm? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So being able to have that as like a, mm. and I think laughter, like we're laughing as we're chatting about this and laughter is really important too. Sure. I mean, it obviously makes like sex is awkward generally. I'm once you get once you get skilled at it, it becomes less awkward and more sexy. But at first it's always gonna be awkward. Um yeah. right? Think about the yeah, first time absolutely. you had shower sex. Did you fall over? If you didn't, you probably Our shower didn't do it, isn't right? big enough to fall over. <laughs> right, exactly. We're in the UK, everything is so small. Um, <laughs> it's like um it's oh like gosh. some sort of gymnastics um totally. sports There's... to have sex in our shower. Like, I mean, yeah. There's no way to do it in a graceful way, period. <laughs> End of story. That's so funny. Um, okay, thank you for going into I, I didn't mean to distract you because I do want to hear about Tantra as well, but yeah. I just thought this is such a fascinating thing. And it's, and I'm like, Till accepts me, my wife, she accepts me exactly as I am. There's, I never feel shame or, or particularly any rejection, maybe on some subconscious levels or whatever. And yet I'm still like, I'm always like, oh, maybe I'd like to try it. And I'm like, oh gosh, that's a scary thought. The conversation is scaring me. And I'm like, why? this person doesn't scare me. I don't think they'll reject me. I don't think that. And I'm like, gosh, there's some stuff in me. And that's, it's still learning to be vulnerable, learning to, you know, be, feel safe, even with the safest people on the planet. Like, yeah. you know, that stuff. So I, I think those are really great tips because I know I'm not alone. I get all the messages. I get you weirdos <laughs> messages. Um, so, no. <laughs> uh, but talk to me about Tantra because I, I, I think that's, um, I think, man, the church, maybe through its kind of neoplatonic kind of like, expressions is we've just become this weird gnostic hating the body hating sex hating any of these concepts that we've missed a whole world of sexuality that maybe the east has kind of like been a lot more um open to yeah so like i got into tantra in part because i just fell into it when i moved to new york city and i'd been doing yoga for a while and was like interested in hinduism generally but um one of the things that I first noticed in the Tantra workshops I would go to was that literally almost everyone in them had come from a Christian background. Mm. Even more so, more people had come from Catholic backgrounds than Protestant backgrounds. So clearly, like people were desiring some sort of sexual, spiritual connection that wasn't available in the way in which Christianity was being taught to them. Mm. And that was sort of what like tipped me off to like, there's something that needs to be discussed here that needs to be like pulled out and talked more. Um, so when I studied Tantra, obviously like, yeah, you can talk about the sexual positions and ways to get in touch with your pleasure and eye gazing and breath work and sounding and all those, those more specific things. That's all basically neo-Tantra, which is like, I'm using that term. I don't know if it's real, but it's like how Tantra has been sort of, promoted in the West. So sure. it's not actually geared toward the actual philosophical principles of Tantra. The actual philosophical principles of Tantra can basically be like 
delineated into two different things. One is that you've got this idea that there's, and the actual sexual practices of Tantra are really, really weird. And they're not things we're going to do. They're the sorts of things where like you tell your partner you're interested in this, they're going to be like, no fucking way. Also, I might get arrested. Because <laughs> like they actually would like go to graveyards so and funny. have sex next to corpses while like drinking blood. Not something I'm interested wow. in doing. Yeah, that's not on my list. I, right? You know, sure, I've got some weird kinks from like, you know, all the masturbating as a teen Christian, but that wasn't on the list. I didn't even find that category Yeah. Before. I mean, and like nowadays you really couldn't actually have sex in a cemetery without getting arrested. So, you know, I don't think anyone in the West really wants real tantric practices in that way. I know. So maybe something, and even in that, I'm like, okay, you know what? Not going to judge. Maybe there's something in having this beautiful union connection with someone that's that's deeply on some uh, very, very low key level. It's about procreation. That's what it's really about. And we're creating life amongst death. Like, and like, I'm like, wow, there's some beautiful spiritual stuff. To this sure. Like I'm not, I'm not, you know, wanting that's to, exactly like, what they were get going all over for. Tantra or whatever, you know, I'm like, I get it. Like I get what I see what you're going for, but maybe we could do this differently. You know? Exactly. So what the, the main two things that they're actually going toward are on the one hand, there's this idea that you know, if we were to go through the history of, of Hinduism and simplify it really, really in a shoddy way, you have like normal Hinduism where like, like normal Vedic Hinduism where you've got priests and they worship in a very particular way. And it's something where like very prescribed, very specific when you worship the deity, which is really like the statue of the deity, you offer puja to it, which is worship. Um, ritual worship in very prescribed ways. And if you mess up any of it, the whole ritual is defunct and no longer works. So like those priests had to be really on top of their game and really studied in order to have anything go right. And the yogis came along and they were like, no, I don't know that we have to do it that specifically. What if I like decided I wanted to like worship a stick or worship a whatever. And so like they had different practices that were a little more relaxed. And then the tantrikas came along and they were like, okay, see, I see you yogis. And I'm going to raise the ante and say that I want to see God in another person. Mm. So I'm not going to just offer puja to a deity or to nature. I'm going to offer puja to another human. And so most of these sexual practices that you learn about that are tantric are really part of the puja rituals. So they're part of the ritual worship of another person not necessarily worshiping that person, but worshiping the fact that they are an incarnation of the divine or that they have the divine within them. Which if we go back to what I was talking about before about like the mystical body of Christ, like very clearly you can see that sort of um, comparison of like, sure. yeah, we're, we're still looking at the incarnation. We're still looking at how is it that you can see the divine within another person. And that's sort of a key practice of Tantra that I think is very easily placed into Christianity where like, sure. can we take some of the, the lighter puja practices where we're offering things like chocolate and flowers and candles by means of fire, water, incense, things like that. How can we offer those things to another person in a practice that's helping us experience that person as the divine and also having that person who's on the receiving end experience themselves as holding a piece of the divine, as being that thimble that's holding a little bit of the ocean. Mm. And 
that's sort of like a key practice that I think something that I teach in like the courses that I have on Christian Tantra. That's like sort of our culminating event is to go through the whole puja practice. The other piece of Tantra that I think is really, really important from a deconstructing lens is that the general spiritual practices of Tantra are geared toward this idea that there's a box of what we consider sacred. Mm. And that box for most people who were raised in Christian circles is quite small. And the idea that tantrikas are trying to do is to say, okay, cool, this is the box of what I think is sacred, but what about all this stuff out of that? Is there a way that I can do something that is profane and try it out and see if that also makes me feel closer to the divine or less close to the divine Mm. and be open to the experience that like that thing that I considered profane might actually help me find God more. And therefore my box expands. And so like the word Tantra means to like weave, basically it means to expand and then weave back. And this is the process of, of expanding and weaving. So you're expanding the box and then coming back to it and then expanding it and then coming back to it. And what you may find, and I think this is also like, this is exactly like the process of, of reconfiguring your own spirituality through a process of deconstruction or just through spiritual growth in general, is you try things out and you see how they fit. And if they don't fit, you toss them. And if they do fit, your box is expanded. Yeah. Um, and so those are the two components of Tantra that I think are like so essential to come and take and to like weave into a Christian expanded spirituality. Um, ultimately yeah. an integral Christianity, which is like my favorite book. One yeah, of them. Paul Smith's one. Yeah. 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 It's great. It's really, I want to have him on here as well. He said he would. And then he didn't get back to me when I asked him what times. So I need to chase him back up. That was about a year ago. So. I wonder, <laughs> like, he's pretty old. Yeah. Well, no the, I did, to Paul I did, Smith, literally but... whenever I ask old people, if they'll come on the show, I'm always like, ah. I'm like, dude, there's been a pandemic since I guarantee he's figured out zoom. Like, right, exactly. Right, if he hasn't, and Paul, somehow somebody you else is I'm probably so sorry good. for assuming you couldn't use Zoom. I'm, oh, I think he probably could, but like, no, 100%. Um, <laughs> I would also ask Luke Healy if he would be willing to be on your podcast because Luke, Luke is Healy? in charge of the like inner Christianity like network now. Oh, okay, cool. Um, I'll, I'll definitely reach yeah. out to him. Can you? Like, I'll message. I'll you. write down his name. Yeah. Cool. That would be awesome. I'm really intrigued. So how much time have you got? We've gone two hours. Do you have I'm a- totally cool for a you while. You are good? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, I, I always say to people like, eh, eh, I, it'll be kind of two hours, but if, if we end up getting into it and I'm like, gosh, this is good. I'm like, I can't stop. I, I'm really intrigued. So we talk about this this season of deconstruction and t- kind of tantric exploration is, is kind of um, very compatible with that. And certainly for you, it was very compatible, right? You go to New York, you're, you're kind of deconstructing your faith. You're kind of walking away from a lot of what you had. And at the same time going, oh gosh, sexual, spirituality, exploration. Um, and that led you down a path of kind of more um, uh, a polyamorous kind of like exploration. Um, I'm really intrigued what your thoughts were on that. Because obviously like that is like, which is funny, but it's a major no-go in the church, which is again, really funny when we look <laughs> at historically how people have done relationships and how the relationships are portrayed in the Bible. Um, but I'm always intrigued by it. I, I definitely do not have the um, the internal fortitude and a, a, a ability to walk through. I'm just not mentally resilient enough. I'm too easily feel rejection and I 
I'm not able to be vulnerable enough. God, I, I struggle with one human being to be connected to that close. Um, but I'm really fascinated by it. I always look, I love watching documentaries about it. Louis Through did an excellent documentary about it for a while, which was fascinating. Um, I love that documentary on Netflix about the extreme Mormonism sect. Did you see that? It was like three oh, no. husbands and a wife or something. Oh no, no. Three, three wives, wives and, and a husband. husband. Yeah, that's the right way. Not the other way. No, right, no, the other no, way is not, not okay. Because women don't actually have sexual desire. No, exactly. But I, I watch stuff like that and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm like, Jesus, nobody wins in this dynamic, right? This is not a dynamic where any, like you could say, well, oh yeah, the men just gets all the sex they want. And I'm like, it looks really, I mean, I just don't know how I'd manage three families. Like that just feels, and manage like, but you're literally the boss. You're in charge of all this. And you've got like every day you're with a new wife and it's got to be a great experience because they only see you once every three days. And you know what I mean? I'm like, Jesus looks awful. I'm like, whoa. But I, 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 t- I listen to them talk about how they explore loving and giving themselves and things like that. Now, whether that's all bullshit within some sort of patriarchal groomed society, I think it probably is, or not, I do think there's some level of truth to kind of that um, polyamorous kind of lifestyle where people learn to go, well, no, of course I don't run out of love after one kid. I can have two kids and I love them both just as much. And if I have a third kid, guess what? It's not like I'm going to have to take some love away from the other kids. Like, like our concept of love is that it's this deep well of endlessness that we get. Right, the so infinite I, I pool at, of love. I look at our community and I'm like, gosh, there's a lot to be learned from that um world's expression uh lifestyle whatever language we might attribute to it um and i'm really intrigued what your thoughts are and what you maybe learned in that season coming out of maybe like quite a puritanical expression of christianity um there's not many others um, but yeah um yeah can, can you talk to that yeah so like i think you know similar to what you were saying like i definitely walked into that sort of well by accident, quite literally. Um, it was an unfortunate thing that I, this is a horrible example of, of polyamory. Um, but I mean, I'd heard about it cause I think Tristan Taramino, is that her name? Um, it's the person who wrote oh, the ethical no. slut. I think oh, that's okay. I've heard anyway, of that book, but I don't remember the, uh, either the ethical slut or the other one, Tristan yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, Tristan Terramino. Her name is as difficult to pronounce as it is to spell. So, and she wrote the book Opening Up, not um, The Ethical Slut. So Opening Up is about, um, is about polyamory and opening up a relationship and how you go about doing that. And she came and spoke at Northwestern while I was there. And as I was listening to her, part of what so part of my exploration of polyamory was actually like part of a psychological dysfunction. But based upon that traumatic experience, I started the entire chat with you with about. But like part of what she was talking about was this idea that like you could love multiple people and that maybe it wasn't so bad. And when I sat with that and felt into it, I was like, it gave me a sense of peace that like I hadn't done anything super wrong and that it wasn't that you know, my mentor had like stopped loving his wife and instead was loving me, but rather could in fact have spaciousness within his own experience to love both people mm. in different ways, even, you know? Sure. And so like, I'd have this experience of understanding that like, it's possible and feeling like I had been put in this position of 
So I'm almost being like forced to, to feel into that world. It gave me so much comfort to know that it was possible and it was a thing and it had a name and the whole thing. So when I moved to New York, I was like somewhat interested and curious and in, in open relationships, but didn't really intentionally pursue it. I ended up like meeting this guy at a bar and like brought him home with me. And in the morning he was like pulling on a sock. I very specifically remember him pulling on a sock <laughs> and saying to me, so my girlfriend in San Francisco. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Your girlfriend in San Francisco? Like, this is not cool. And like, we hadn't had sex. We just like made out and snuggled. So it wasn't like a huge ordeal. Right. But it was still like, and it was mostly that like, we'd had this great conversation at the bar and like, didn't want to stop. And so like, we'll come back to my place and like, we'll snuggle all night. It'll be cool. So like, anyway, pulling a sock, tell me he's in an open relationship. And I was like, man, I feel kind of like somebody just pulled one over on me, but also like, this is kind of nice to have like myself be like thrown into the deep end of feeling like now I get to actually have this experience that I learned about, that I was curious about, that I mm. didn't know exactly how to explore. And now I'm like in it. Um, and then one of his good friends was also sort of interested in me and I was also sort of interested in him. And so it was this nice thing where like, great, I got to hang out with both of them. I got sure. to like- And see both sides of that dynamic. Exactly. And got to experience both of them simultaneously. For a period of time, they were also roommates. Mm. <laughs> That was also an interesting experience. This is like a sitcom right here. <laughs> exactly. Like it, it, it became somewhat sitcom-like. So, but it was interesting to be in that space. Um, sure. And to be able to say like, you know, I would, at the time I would usually start when I was feeling jealous, right? Because jealousy is totally a real thing sure. in those situations. When I would be feeling jealous, I would oftentimes, you know, mention things to them like and ask them the question of like what makes our relationship different than the relationships that you have with other people like what are you getting out of me that you're not mm. getting out of other people and needing something specific and thank god for these people's patience because like that's not a really fair question to ask anyone but like right like is it fair if it's, you were to if, it feels intense i mean i don't know if it's yeah. fair or not like i guess that's where you were that's what you needed right um right and their answer eventually, as I kept realizing, was your you-ness. Mm -hmm. It wasn't about, you know, my being younger than anybody else they were with or my being having being brunette instead of being blonde or my, you know, sort of ingenue energy of like, this is all new to me and I, I don't have that many sexual experiences and I don't really know much about this and I'm, I'm curious about it all, you know. It wasn't even that. It was just like my me-ness. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, like, if I were to answer that about any of those people, the answer would be the same. Like, I wasn't dating Brian because he was Brian. I was, or because of something specific about him. I was dating him because he was Brian or Cal because he was Cal or Michael because he was Michael. Like, those people were simply the people I was dating because they were the people I, I you know, cared about um, sure. and who I felt connected to. So that was really cool to like have that experience of recognition that like, yes, our hearts can expand to contain as many people as we want them to and need them to, but also that like, you're never in relationship with somebody, at least if you're a good human, you're never in relationship with somebody for a transactional reason. You're in a relationship sure. with somebody because there's a unique constellation of existence that is contained in that person. And that's what sure. you're attracted to. Yeah. Um, 
and to also be recognizing that I too have a unique constellation of things that is worthy of love and is worthy of care. And that unique combination creates this third thing that is infinitely unique, right? I mean, it cannot be created in any other way other than you and me coming together in this way. Um, It's a beautiful thing. It it really is. um, Totally. And there's like 12 different theologies around what that third thing is. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Totally dig. That's like another fun topic. Maybe for another day, but yeah, anyway, yeah. we should do this again for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the idea of like, yeah, so that component of jealousy was taken care of. The mm. other thing that I thought was really, really helpful and beautiful is that I had this one particular partner who was more, more of like a mentor in some ways, because he was significantly older than me and really introduced me to sensuality within a sexual experience and mm. basically destroyed me for anyone else to ever <laughs> <laughs> to ever enjoy um, because of the fact that he was so sensual in his nature. So like the entirety of the experience was more about foreplay than it was about sex. Sure. Um, and that taught me a lot about my body, other people's bodies, what sensuality really is and the, the, pe- the way that it plays into our sexuality. Mm. And also understanding that like intercourse isn't the point of sex. Sure. And it's not the totality of sex. So yeah. like, like you were talking about like how like there's a little bit of you that's like more asexual than sexual. And like, I think that's really true for people who are outside of the patriarchal understanding of what sex is. Mm-hmm. Maybe not patriarchal, but like the traditional understanding of what sex is. Like it's yeah. not just about like wham, bam. Sure. Or like oh, it's this powerful thing of like, I put my penis in something, I win, right. like, or whatever the fuck that is, right? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Tina, um, are you familiar with Dr. Tina Shermer? Totally. Of course. Love her. I mean, yeah, of course. She wrote um, the book that I wanted to write, and then I was like, I don't have to write it. Thank God. <laughs> and it's good that you've worked on your jealousy by then. Um, exactly. And, uh, no, but she talks about that. And I, I had her on my podcast so long ago. I want to have her back on um, again. Um, but she talked about, it and it just like, it just freed me up so much. This kind of, cause I beat myself up, up for this. Like, I feel like, gosh, I'm not like a, especially if you're a guy, right? Cause the church hammers in, oh, guys are like this, like, like sex craze, like penis with legs and arms running everywhere. Right. I mean, it's which like, is why we have to like have our heads then, covered and have our females, shoulders covered. Exactly. And not wear God, something low don't and... do anything. Like don't even move. Um, don't draw attention. The penis is just roaming the wilderness looking. Um, but like the thing is like, you know, she was saying like, oh, well, actually it's only about 60% of relationships where the men are, have a higher libido than the females. So yeah, men do have a higher libido than women generally, but it's actually pretty damn close and it's not so black and white as you would think. And then things like, um, oh, sex. Oh, no, no, no. You're talking about sexual intercourse. Sex is this whole world of which sexual intercourse is this thing in. And and to me, I was like, oh, I love sex then. Like, I, lo- I love sexual intercourse as well. But like, I'm like, the amount of times, like, I don't know, but this is like, people on the podcast do not sign up for this probably. But like, I'm like, sex takes a lot of time. It's like very intense, like very, like thing, like, and, and because I like all the other stuff, right? And maybe I'm a bit like this other guy. Like, I'm like, I'm essential. I like all the foreplay, I like everything. And I'm like, dude, 
I've got things to do right now. I don't have two, three hours, right? Wait, it's like, like I don't want I, the hamburger version of sex. Yeah, I want, I want to the, go like, for the seven course five, meal. Exactly. Right? You want seven courses. I um, said five. And man. I tell you what, my, my wife would be quick to say she doesn't get a seven course meal. Okay. So like, people <laughs> listen to this going, wow, Phil, no, it's not that great. Um, but it's, it's, it's a funny um, component that we do. I don't even know how we just started this side of things, but like, what were we talking about? Oh, the poly, yeah, polyamorous and stuff. But, but like, I just think, understand that people want different things from different people. And um, and I think often about this because I have lots of really close friends, male and female, that I am very close to and very intimate with. And my wife isn't jealous of that. I don't want to have sex with them. Um, it, like we were talking about right at the beginning. But I'm like, but there's a real deep intimacy to that relationship um and and that is meaningful to me and and for the most part actually a lot of churches that i've been a part of would not allow that level of closeness to people of yeah. the other sex or even the same sex i might freak them out even more actually to be honest with you i kiss kind of tons right. of my guy friends i mean maybe european or whatever but like a lot of my friends i give them a kiss when i see them and i'm like hey um that freaks out totally. americans so when i was much. in new it's york amazing. it was like you kissed everybody man like yeah. And especially my female friends, like, why not just kiss them on the lips? Like, it yeah. was just a, you know. Oh, absolutely. I kissed so many guys' friends on the lips when I lived in um, California. It's really, really mm-hmm. conservative part of California. Um, and it was just so fun to do. Um, <laughs> just freak everybody out. Have you ever seen, um, you know, Sasha Cohen Barron's um, Borat character? I haven't actually seen. God, you need to watch Borat. But him going around America dressed up as this person from Kazakhstan that, like, you know, no one really knows, doesn't know that he's this celebrity. And just him, like, going up to, like, like the most conservative Republican candidate there is who's like making this big stance about family values and all this different stuff and him going on, ah, oh, yeah, hello, Yakshamash. And he goes in and just kisses him. And like the guy's like, oh. <laughs> you can just see him like freak out internally of like, oh God, there's cameras here and oh, what's happened. And um, it's just too funny. I'm like, yes, troll people that expose that oh stuff. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's um, so Sorry, total derailment. But I, I I'm so fascinated by it. So thank you for sharing that. Is, was there anything else you were talking about? Oh, before I, before yeah. I so that one particular person who was more like mentorship censorship. in that yeah. sort of way, he would oftentimes, in this, this feels a little bit like he was pimping me out, but that wasn't really the case. It was coming from a place of like, I want you to have like a, a, a normal relationship with somebody who's closer to your own age. Mm. And so he would like intentionally introduce me to people. And it felt like such a beautiful gift to be able to be like, you know, sure. I care about you so much that this is what's going to happen. There was also yeah. somebody I dated who was married and his wife, before we went on, I think it was almost like our first date. I came over to his house and he was like, oh, oh, it was a costume party that we're going to. And I didn't come in costume. I was wearing like jeans and a tank top or something, which is like my MO all the time forever. Me and Jennifer Aniston have that in common. Um, And his wife was like, let me find something in my closet that'll fit you. And she goes through her closet and finds clothing for me. And obviously I wasn't wearing like enough makeup or the right kind. And so she like dolls me up. She uses like rhinestones and like places them on my face, which if you've ever had your makeup done, which Phil, I don't know if you've done that before. Have you had makeup done by someone else? I've had my makeup done. Yeah. Right? So it feels mm-hmm. like a really interesting I say my ex- makeup. It's not a common experience for me. So I, it almost felt like it was their makeup for me. But uh, <laughs> but like it's it's like something where like it's an intimate experience. You're like close to somebody. Very close. People right in your face. Touching. Like they're touching your yeah. face, which feels really intimate. Yeah. 
And so it almost felt like she was like giving me her blessing before mm. like sending me off with her husband. Yeah. Um, and that just felt like, like what a beautiful, like it just felt really it's sacred really beautiful. and beautiful. I was yeah. going to say, regardless of what you think about sexuality and sex and stuff, that's a beautiful thing. And I was like, no, probably it isn't a beautiful thing for some people. <laughs> right. It's probably right. like, but, what the heck? But I'm like, oh, that's beautiful. So I, I know I had this conversation with my wife at one point um, where she was talking about how she loves how I've got these like close friendships and she moved to Manchester where I lived. So she kind of like up and rooted herself from her community to mine and she was talking about how she's never had a close like male friend really and I was like oh my gosh like here's a male friend of mine like please hang out with them and hang out with but I'm like that's to me I I've in in Christianity that would never you'd never be like oh please wife hang out with this really because let's face it most of my guy friends are way better looking than me and actually like cooler funnier like pretty much every element of like jealousy and fear of like your wife running off with someone else but that's just not in me I, I just don't have that component um in that way um I'm sure if she started sleeping with someone else like I there'd be some stuff for me to work through um but like I just think that's so healthy. Like not to brag on myself or anything, but I'm like, I just want my wife to have like good male friends. Cause if nothing else, that will help her be a better wife to me for her to be able to go to a guy friend and go, Hey, like help me understand what the hell's going on in Phil's head. Um, not that all guys think the same or anything like that. Yeah. I think like most guys. Um, but I just think that's a beautiful thing. Uh, you know, I, I, again, on some level, I understand that some people are going to be very, um, stretched by some of the things we've talked about in this conversation yeah won't be able to see necessarily some of these that's things a healthy good part healthy. about it um yeah but, i think about yeah, like it's, my it's my husband's friend jess who he dated when he was in college like she's one of my favorites of his friends because mm. she's just so wonderful and awesome and like when we were in paris she like let us live in her apartment for a week and she lived with her boyfriend for that week and like she's just amazing and i can imagine that like for a lot of people that would be so scary Mm. to be like wait you're in still in contact with your ex-girlfriend from college and like for god forbid that they actually like like each other but i met jess and i was like you're so amazing like of course right. he dated uh, you like this makes sense i can see why he likes you i love you right exactly <laughs> it's like i i adore you jess um yeah so mm. like i i think that's really healthy i also have a couple of like male friends that god like I think in some ways um, there's a brilliant book called the all or nothing marriage by his first name is Eli. He has a last name. He's a professor at Northwestern university. Um, and he talks about basically how um, we expect Eli Finkel, we expect in our relationships at this stage of historical development of, of love and marriage that like our spouse is going to be our end all be all. Right. Yeah. So like, even in our parents' generation, and I don't know how old your parents are, mine are in their 70s. So like they were expecting to find a spouse that like shared their understanding of the world and like mm -hmm. provided some level of friendship and, and love. But ultimately, like they weren't necessarily looking for like self-actualization through their partnership. No. We in this era are looking for self-actualization through our partnership in addition to friendship, in addition yeah. to like financial stability in addition to like raising children together. Um, and so he talks about how that's ultimately like a practically impossible thing sure. to expect all of that from one person. Yeah. And so I know for my, for me, like my closest male friends provide me with some of the things that like my husband doesn't provide me with as much. Yeah. Like Absolutely. he hits, 
you know, everything, but some of them are deeper than others. And like, I get more support from my, my male friends, especially from like a masculine energy, which I think is really, as somebody who is mostly heterosexual, I like being around masculine energy. Yeah. Um, and really value being around it. So I actually never had the experience of being told you can't have male friends in part because like, mm. I was the person who like always had male friends from the time I was like, right. it was too know, late third and fourth grade. Exactly. I was already screwed over. Yeah. Um, that was the case also, with me. I just didn't experience that until it was like, it was too late. I have too many female friends. And they were like, I guess I can't say you can't do that. Right. Uh, and you've not impregnated any of them yet. So, I mean, I don't, that argument's not going to work. And <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's okay. Um, so funny. Yeah. So like, it was just really lovely to, to, it's just mm. really lovely to have those people in my life, Steve and Anoush. They're fucking mm. brilliant, amazing human beings who I adore with all of my heart. I have no interest in being in a sexual relationship with either of them. Yeah. Um, but feel like our intimacy and what we share with one another is like, you know, I honestly feel like we've traveled across universes together in some way through yeah. our relating. Um, and certainly they are a place where I feel like I can connect to that infinite pool of love so that I can dish it out to the rest of the world in a way that's really meaningful. Mm, that's beautiful. I feel like this is huge in breaking out of codependent kind of relationships as well, which like the church just loves a good codependent relationship, right? I mean, that's what its, it's, it's goal is, some sort of weird cold codependent relationship, it feels like at least. Um, totally. And there's a part of me that wants that as well. There's also huge parts of me, I'm deeply introverted. I do not like neediness. I do not like, you know, I, I'm I, in a lot of ways, I'm my wife's worst nightmare because I am like, okay, I've been in my office for eight hours a day, you know, on my own. <laughs> And she finishes work, I finish work, and I'm like, but I kind of want to go and read on my own now. So, and she's like, I want to hang out. And I'm like, I need some alone time after my eight hours alone. Uh, like, That's I'm just exactly like, what my husband does. Yeah, and I'm always like, but like, can we, can I at least touch you while you're doing that? Like, <laughs> my primary love language is, is touch. Right. That's part of but, why I was massage therapist. And like, please so just funny. touch me or pet me while yeah. you read. Thankfully, we're both very touch oriented, but I think there is a part of it of, of of that dynamic of going, "Hey, my partner wants like some space right now. Cool, I'll go hang out with my other friends, and we can like snuggle on a couch and watch a movie. Like that's okay, you know, or whatever, totally. right? It's like we both need some touch filled. That's great. We'll do that. You read a book or whatever, which historically just isn't an option for a Christian couple, generally speaking. Um, Maybe slightly, but generally speaking, guys in the church don't all get together to to hug and snuggle. snuggle like yeah. And then generally yeah. speaking, you're not allowed to go and snuggle with your wife's best friend. You know, like that's <laughs> generally speaking, there's like oh, all man. kinds of Christian issues. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's just really fascinating that kind of breaking out of um, kind of codependent kind of tendencies and that narrative, right? What was her name? Lorraine in her head? Yes, Lorraine. Lorraine. <laughs> She's like, no, no, you can't, you can't talk to them, you know, like, right. don't touch that person. Um, it also makes me think of like, I don't know, I was a theater major, right? So like, you're always touching people in theater. Sure. That's like just yeah. part of the way that works. You're practically a puddle of, of cuddling. Yeah. You're a cuddle puddle. And being able to contextualize stuff, right? So again, in Europe, right, you go to a sauna and everyone's naked, men mm -hmm. and women hanging out together, but it's not sexual, right? Or you look at a shower gel commercial. And the woman is naked and she's like rubbing her breasts and her armpits with like shower gel. Because it's actually weird if we think about it that the person in our commercial is wearing a bikini. 
that's weird. Right. It's weirder than the naked person, if we're honest, right? <laughs> but we, we've we been brought up in this environment where we can't contextualize. And so we have to have someone wearing a bikini in a shower. Or usually we just cut it weirdly so that, you know, we never see Right, anything, exactly. Like, obscure, like, or the woman's leg is already shaved when she's shaving it because we can't possibly see a hairy leg or whatever. Oh my like, gosh, yes. Do, right? Um, and it's it's so it's so painful that we haven't been taught as Christians to contextualize. What does it look like to just raise your kids and go, okay, so sometimes you're going to see women naked, Bob, or you're going to see guys naked, Julie, or whatever, if you're not even within that heterosexual kind of norm, like that we create Mm -hmm. Christianity or whatever, but sometimes you're going to see someone else naked and it doesn't have to be a sexual experience inherently. It can just be that you're going, huh, they're naked. And you can even go, dang, and they look good. And then you can, (laughs) go on with your sauna, right? It's fine. I didn't and have like, to like, I think that's, that's part of sexual integration, mm. right? Which is like, um, the Catholic church defines chastity in a really cool way. <laughs> that's not what you think it is. Um, so chastity is defined as the integration of sexuality and thus inner unity of the person in their bodily and spiritual being. So the integration of sexuality and thus inner unity of the person in their bodily and spiritual being, which means that that integrating your sexuality, being chased by definition is more about having an integrated sexuality where you could see someone naked and not get immediately turned on. It's an internal reality. It's not about your external performance. Totally. It's all about, and also like this body soul integration piece, which I think is like so sexy in an intellectual way. So cool that like body soul integration is the key piece of chastity. Mm. And so a lot of the times that I talk about chastity and talk about, you know, sexual integration, I think about like, well, where are the places where you're already experiencing body soul integration in your life? Mm. Cause you are, you're having those moments where you're like in a flow state sort of to use, um, I'm not even going to attempt that dude's name, but the guy, I think his first name is Mikhail or something. And his last name starts with a CZ and goes on for about 20 letters. I, he wrote oh, the book about flow. Okay. Um, <laughs> People can Google it. Just start smashing your keyboard after CZ. <laughs> exactly. S- type flow and then smash your keyboard. You'll get the book. I promise. Um, <laughs> That's so funny. Like, God. Dave, my husband like explained to me how you pronounce it, but I don't remember. Anyway, so a flow state is sort of like a body soul integration state. Right. If you want to look at it from a more orange, intellectual, rational perspective. And we've all got that. We've all had those moments where like you lose track of time, you lose track of what's, you're so present in the moment that you lose track of what's going on elsewhere. Mm. And those are the moments where we start to better integrate our sexuality actually. Um, and ideally, when you are in fact having sex, you go into a flow state where your body soul is united. You lose track of time. You're so in the moment. You're so present, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's also interesting is Eros and the experience of Eros can also be described as a flow state. Like those things sort of go together as well. So yeah, it's an interesting little constellation of, of experiences. No, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for taking so much time to hang You're out. You're so, to so share. welcome. Thanks I for chatting. Like we, could, we could chat again for another two and a half hours. Easy, I think. <laughs> um, so maybe at some point in the future, we'll have you back on and we'll go into a whole yeah. bunch of other um, bits and pieces. But how can people connect with you? What are you doing in the world that is helping people that will resource them? You know, what, what do you recommend people connect with? 
Okay, so there's a few different things. One is you can, I'm, I don't know when you're going to be posting this on your podcast. Uh, this is a great question. Probably not for a little uh, while. Um, it's probably October now, I think. Anyway, so I have coaching programs that are available. The one that I'm launching right now is Saltry Salvation, and it's a five-month program. What's really cool is that I've combined sex coaching with spiritual direction. So you do like two sex coaching sessions a month and one spiritual direction session, which means that like you're dealing with both the like, let's move you through whatever is coming up for you sort of from your religious background, even if you're no longer a believer in God, using that understanding of faith that's like, a little broader than just having a man in the sky. How do it gives you space to process the spiritual shit while you're also processing and doing things that are more sexually oriented. Sure. So that's really cool. That's, um, when's that? When does that run? Is that like just recurring over and over, or does it? Start yeah, basically, day? I'm gonna start it. The next one's gonna start actually like October 5th. So if you're listening to this, you probably won't be able to join that one, but I might reopen it for like the month it of November starts or December. The fifth, so you'll be like doing pre like launch and signups and stuff yeah i do launch okay my launch week i'll, is next I'll move week. it around and i'll uh next weekend oh <laughs> i when mean do- like i'm not gonna close the doors until you know october 1st or so so okay. I'm, i'll move you forward to the 21st of september sweet so, awesome so okay guys, so then you've got some you time to get it. in there yeah if you There's want limited to spaces at- get on it people exactly it's, been, it's already been open for like a week and a half you, you exactly. know you need to get on and it. like last week was my big week of trainings but those trainings that i do in order to like help promote the launch are all in my facebook group which is like really where the party's right. at i'm totally on instagram and do lots of stuff there but like facebook group is really where it's at um usually it is called the discovering sex positive christianity facebook group um at this moment i changed the name to be the to be reflective of the training I'm doing in there. So it's like ditch okay. the shame free training at the moment. Um, ditch the shame? Yeah, is the name of the free training I'll be doing. Okay, I'll probably message you right before we launch this just to double check what links and stuff are. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Be some um, and then of course I'm on Instagram, rachel.alba.coaching, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Someone I'll, tell I'll, me what that is. All these yeah. links will be in the show notes and they will be correct. Totally. Um, Holds anything we say right now with a huge grain of salt. (laughs) Totally. And like, Um, I do free trainings, like Phil was saying, every single week. I have an Instagram um, TV and I do free trainings also all the freaking time in my Facebook group because I love giving people things for free, though I also need to make money to survive. So the combination is great. And also because the US doesn't have the same safety net for housing that the UK obviously does. Let's let's keep Rachel off the streets. (laughs) So. Yes. Um, yeah. So thank you so much, Phil, for having me. Oh, it was thank such a you. blast. Honestly, what you do is really important. Like I, I you know, I stressed at the beginning. I think the the conversation that we've had it, it only highlights again and again and again how big an issue this is and how how real this is for so many people. So what you're doing is so important. There cannot be enough people creating resources, helping people, walking people through their their journeys, and like what a enriching and rewarding thing to do as well i'm sure it's a really oh my god it's so amazing you get to do to be able to help people take their whole lives to a whole nother level really in in a lot of ways i'm sure my star client the other day yesterday was like i feel more empowered and more embodied and more like something else so you said something beautiful but i was like you're feeling more empowered and embodied that's like that's it makes my heart sing that will get me out of bed tomorrow morning when i don't feel like working you know it's like yes Uh, totally it's really beautiful thank you so much for what you're doing Uh, you are so thank you for coming on it was honestly yeah 
So yeah, but I'll, I'll let you know when it goes live, but we'll, we'll aim for 21st of September. Sweet, cool. Awesome. All right, Thank you. love you, Rachel. Catch you later, yeah? Yeah, bye. Bye. All right, so that was Rachel Alba. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. We did not leave many stones unturned, it feels. We really dove in there. Um, and yet there's just so many other things I would have loved to talk to her about. So I'm sure we'll have her back on. Um, but if you want to track with uh, Rachel um, up until then, you can check out her website. It's sexwithspirit.com. Um, she's got a Facebook group. The link is in the show notes. It's quite a long uh, link, um, but it's down below or in your show notes, wherever you're listening, watching this. Um, her Instagram is rachel.alba.coaching. Do follow her on there. She's great. Um, and I've included in the show notes a whole host of different um, links of stuff that um, Rachel mentioned, you know, some Ken Wilber stuff, the Robert Keegan, Evolving Self, um, the Integral Christianity with Paul Smith, um, all that kind of stuff. There's lots of different um, things that were mentioned. And so I've included some links um, below for you to check out if you want to. Um, as I said at the beginning, check out the deconstructionnetwork.com if you're going through deconstruction if you feel lonely if you feel like you'd like to connect with people that are on a similar place uh, on a similar journey or in a similar place um, that is a great resource for you it's, it's absolutely free and i genuinely believe it will help so many people it's already helped so so many people i always get messages of people saying they've managed to find someone in their local area they're connecting with them um, which is just really encouraging. So the deconstructionnetwork.com, uh, the gracecourse.com is free resource as well. Lots of teaching resources about different topics and how to approach them through a Christian lens um, for people that are going through deconstruction but want to hold on to a lot of their Christian tradition, Christianity, the Bible, things like that. The gracecourse.com is a great resource for you. Um, and then finally, um, as I mentioned again at the beginning, I do all of this for free. I will forever do all of this for free. That's never going to change. Um, I will never change my posture towards anyone um, if they are able to give or unable to give. But if you are able to give, if you'd like to support what I'm doing, um, you can go and do that at phildrysdale.com slash partner or patreon.com slash phildrysdale. Um, for as little as $5 a month, you get access to my private um, community where we have all sorts of fascinating conversations um there's all kinds of other perks there's uh, monthly zooms there's one-on-one -on -one skypes there's different bits and pieces and so um if you're in a place to do that if you love what i'm doing and love that i'm doing it for free and want to support me doing it full-time which is what i do i do it full-time um i would really appreciate that and if not that's fine as well as always come hang out with me come chat with me on instagram that's my main kind of active place it's just phil drysdale on instagram um, I'd love to connect with you. I'd love to get to know you. I'd love to chat with you. Um, but for now, that's all we have. And I will see you later in the week where we have um, Love in the Face. Naya and Katie from Love in the Face is going to be Thursday's post. And it's a fantastic um, episode. And so I will see you then.